This week on Out Now with Internet, we are talking Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Everybody was kung fu fighting. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello, hi. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via most support for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 467. 467. That's a good number. That's almost sequential. <laughs> sure. Just 500 in there. <laughs> And 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 this week, speaking of sequential, we're talking Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, the latest film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, joining us to discuss Shang Chi, we have writer for sites including Variety, The Wrap, and What to Watch. He used to take some martial arts classes as a youth, so he's going to grade some of these fights. It's Todd Gilchrist. <laughs> oh yeah, I did. I did actually. I never. I was. I was really terrible you know but, i had uh, a feeling i had a feeling that might have been yeah. true and not just me right it was it. i mean it was honestly it was very short-lived but um <laughs> and so you know i decided to replace my training with just obsessively watching uh, martial arts movies um and now i know even less than i did when i was actually trained so i'm looking forward <laughs> to this all right so you're the man <laughs> also joining us from why so blue once you get your driver's license you can live the dream like him it's peter paris <laughs> hey everybody how are you doing peter hey peter I'm uh, good. I live in L.A. and it's uh, it's kind of hot this weekend, so I don't love that. Uh, but besides that, good. All right. We'll get down to get down to uh, the Venice Boardwalk, you know, run, run around there for a while. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get those guns out. Because <laughs> the sun's out, Peter. I just oh, think that's okay. Why. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, that's enough of that. Let's, I'm happy to have you guys both here. <laughs> I'm excited to talk about Shang-Chi with you all. Um, but before we get to all that, let's get to some show notes. Uh, let's see. First up, new commentary track. And speaking of which, so last week we talked about Candyman, uh, which was I thought was a really good discussion. So be sure to check that one out, and that has a, an extended spoilers discussion at the end of that episode. But uh, for our commentary for this month, we talked about the original Candyman from 1992. Uh, that was a lot of fun as well. Uh, we do like doing these commentary tracks. We're going to try to pack them with a lot of information. So be sure to check all that out. And uh, yeah, we'll have something coming next month as well because that's what we do. We do commentary tracks every month, and they're always fun. Uh, speaking of which. Next month is very fun because it is October, the month of horror for us, where we like to do these special bonus episodes um, all month long. Every week of the month, we do an episode themed around some topic concerning horror. Uh, so stay tuned for all that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We generally have Jimmy O, friend of the show, on there. And some of you guys have popped up on there. Todd, you've been on one of those episodes, I think, in the past. And I believe, Peter, you yeah, have Yeah, have, well. have you guys ever seen the movie Halloween? I've heard of it. Heard of it. No. Yeah. It's pretty it good. scary? Um, you know, I mean, it's oh, pretty family good. feature. Oh, yeah. I look, I'm looking it up right it now. It is about family. Yeah. Yes. Oh, this is great. Yeah. No, I'll watch <laughs> oh, this with my family. family. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's all, it's like a fa- Fast and the Furious or something. No, exactly. It's about no, yeah. family. Yeah. No. If there's two, if there's two, if there's two franchises that have ten or plus entries and are both about family that I compare to each other constantly, <laughs> it's the Fast and Furious and Halloween. This makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. It, they go hand in hand. The mm. fa- fa- Fast Ten or the spinoff, Fast and Furious presents Halloween. That should be a movie right there. Holy uh, hell! I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, it can start. I'm gonna make so much money. It can it can start just Roman and he's going through a haunted house and he's just screaming around every corner. 
but he's smiling too, so you're having a good time. It's a lot of yeah. this is a different topic. Um, so the yeah, horror episodes are coming in October. Stay tuned for those. Those are gonna be a lot of fun. Actually, speaking of Fast and Furious, back when we reviewed Fa- F sorry F9 colon the Fast Saga, I wanna don't wanna misspeak the title there because that's important. Uh, we had our we had uh, new friends of the show Joe and Joe on to talk that movie with us. Um, and to reciprocate that uh, fun event that we had there, I was on their podcast this week, Too Fast, Too Forever, where I talked about Tokyo Drift, the third Fast and Furious film, which was a super lot of fun. And that's going to arrive, I believe, on iTunes this week, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, look out for that if you're interested. And Abe, you got to get on that podcast. you got to do an episode with them. They're, they're I mean, if we're going to do stunts on the show, then great. But, you know. <laughs> is, a stunt, is, is he a stunt coordinator? No, that's, Mark, is... that's Mark Hoffman. Oh, that's Mark. Right, sorry, okay. Mark Hoffman, yeah. Mark Hoffmeyer. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. And Joe. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, contest. Um, Uh-oh. J- just know that we got some things brewing. They got, I, got, I, got, I have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of stuff sitting around here that I could just, like, mail out. <laughs> so we're, we got some ideas brewing as far as what to do next with our, our contest after recently doing another one. Um, let's see. Last thing. Oh, yeah, of course. The summer. The summer gamble. Uh, the summer movie gamble, of course, where we... Abe and I, along with many other frequent guests of the show, including Peter, uh, we battle it out to see who's going to predict the correct order of the top 10 highest grossing films of the summer. This year, we're doing it for a worldwide box office total. That's going to come to an end in about two or three weeks from now. I believe, yeah, three weeks from mm-hmm. now. Um, or no, two, yeah, two weeks from now, from this date. Um, <laughs> we'll finally have a result there. We'll see who comes out on top. Uh, but yeah, speaking of that, because we're talking Shang-Chi this week, that's, of course, one of the contenders in this summer gamble. And the movie opened to $83 million so far right now. That's what they're, they're saying for the, the three-day weekend total with Labor Day. Uh, $140 worldwide, um, which is that's a, that's a good chunk of change. Good for you know, good for them and all that. And uh, we'll yeah. see how that factors in in the next couple of weeks. For, uh, it's for a the pretty summer. unambiguous win for, for them as well. Yeah. Damn. Mm-hmm. Sure. For, given the times and everything, and the the choice to go directly to a uh, theatrical without the aid of a Disney Plus bump or whatever you want to call it, they uh, stuck it out. And hey, success! So there you go. People wanted to see the movie, uh, and we're going to talk all about that soon. But um, last thing, of course, iTunes reviews and ratings. If you like the silliness so far, you can hear a lot more of that uh, by going to iTunes, finding our show, and then you could also give us a rating and review, which would be great. Yeah, you should really do this because we haven't had one in a while. It'd be nice to get a new iTunes review. Pump us up on the old charts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. All right. I think that's enough show notes. Let's move on now. Let's get to some Adnow Quickies. Trademark. Each week, we do it together. We'll do it with the Quickies. That was pretty good this week, Aaron. That I was took pretty a good. I took a break. Trademark. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Peter. Really, really could hear everything. Thank you. If you slow it down, you can. I guarantee it. Peter. Which week we Peter, what other movies have you seen recently? I just watched last night, and if somebody else watches last night, I I will buy them a milkshake. <laughs> That's what I like to always say. Uh, uh I watched uh, I Robot last night. Hey, I like <laughs> I Robot. Hey, okay. Seen in forever. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, still holds up. It's a fun. It's not Dark City, but uh, yeah, it it's very it's the two thousand the mid two thousands esque quality of it is more apparent this time with the rewatch but uh yeah i still think it moves well for a will smith here, here here's the but. thing about the will smith like mid 2000 zone i think those are some of his best performances as an actor like the movies are okay like that and i am and i am legend and I hancock am yeah. 
but but I do think that he's very good in them. <laughs> so I just I wish they're like the movies were better because it's like I think he's he's giving it his all, but like the movies are like yeah they're fine. Like <laughs> well I'll say I'll say this uh, you know spoil can we say spoilers for a movie? Sure. That's no. I would say y- I yes. have not <laughs> I had not seen iRobot in since probably the weekend it opened, and I'm watching it with my girlfriend who she just really likes the movie. It's just one of those movies she's watched a bunch of times, and I'm watching it and I'm like okay wait clearly it's not. The partner of the robotics guy. It's not. Do you know who the actor is? The older guy, James Cromwell. Cromwell? Well, no, Cromwell is Bruce the guy Greenwood. Not. Right. I was like, clearly, it's not <laughs> Bruce Greenwood. I was like, he, he. I'm like, it's not him. But there's not that many characters in this movie. And I was like, I don't know who's who, who can this be. And then it's it's Vicky. It's it's basically the Red Queen from Resident Evil, which is the same era of the 2000s. I was like, oh yes, it is the it's the AI that's the bad guy. Like yeah, which I. Don't know how I forgot that. So I like well, that you're, I like that you're wrapped up in the mystery enough to be like, wait, what's the who's the villain in this thing? I need to solve <laughs> this mystery. <laughs> I was. I, I gotta find these clues. I was curious because there's not there's only like four characters in the movie. I was like, well, I was like, is it, it Chi McBride? Is it Shia? Who is right, it? Is it Shia LaBeouf <laughs> who's in two scenes? I was like, no, that can't be true. Like, uh, but, um, but you're right. I would agree. Yeah, Smith is good. I I'm. Pretty sure I prefer I Am Legend, although I have not seen that in forever. That's either. a better performance, I would agree. Yeah, but but he, he's but he, right. He's he's good in both of them. Also, I feel like uh, Bridget Moynihan's role. I'm pretty sure they wanted Sandra Bullock, you know, but by that time I guess she was too big because of speed. It feels like a Sandra <laughs> because Bullock. of a movie from nine years ago. They're like, ah, she can't do it anymore. <laughs> well, but I was watching like the stuff that like the movie had been in development since like 95 uh, and i was like oh i completely can see them being like oh sandra bullock she should be it like feels like like that kind of character 90s sandra bullock would have taken uh you mean like even a, though, I mean, a, br- a brunette female sidekick yeah well is this as the the well sort of it's it's also the it's like she's serious but maybe there's a sense of humor there maybe it's like it just feels like that kind of uh character um and and of course is this the first? Uh, I'm sorry, we're, I'm talking way too long about iRobot here. <laughs> no, please do it. Is this the first time Alan Tudyk was doing uh, like a a voice? Because you know later, of course, he's also the robot in Rogue One. Well, I mean, he's also like, does he, he like he's also the robot? I like he did like the yeah the mocap robot yeah. performance yeah. capture the performance capture. Oh, right did the, yeah. oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, um, plastic Alan. Well, well, yeah, he is what yeah Kate. What is it? You just watch Rogue One, Todd. What's Rogue? What's what's his name in that movie? K two S O. K two S O. It doesn't roll off the tongue like R two. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> I, don't, I can't get it right away. Right. Yeah. Um. I yeah. I can't think of another Alan Tudyk role before this where he's like the you know a, a character of that nature. But I mean, you know, the first time I remember ever seeing him was in A Knight's Tale, and he had like a fake British accent in that. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. different kind of character and that's on screen more you know it's just his face but uh but he certainly i think already was in that in that mode a little bit but even by the time he did irobot yeah in terms of kind of a, a versatility of voice i guess <laughs> yeah 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 because yeah. he's also steve the pirate that same year as irobot i mean big year for alan tudyk steve the pirate yeah and dodgeball ah. he's a pirate there's a pirate on their team <laughs> yes peter was there anything else you saw this week <laughs> Uh, Please say yes. No, that was the big. No. <laughs> the, the the only other thing that I know that um Aaron and I have already discussed is I finally caught up with 
uh, Succession season two, and I thought it was great. I loved it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not controversial to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not quite, but yes, I'm glad you caught up. Sorry, guys, I'm I have to leave this. Todd, <laughs> <laughs> Todd, where are you? Where are you? What have you seen recently? Um, I've actually seen a lot. Uh, like literally last night, um, Julie and I watched uh, A Quiet Place Part Two, which I had not seen, oh. um, which I thought was good um i thought it was very good um and then i watched i rewatched uh, almost famous which is one of my all-time favorite movies um but then this week i watched um this movie called zone 414 Ooh, which I've is seen a, that which is really not good <laughs> yeah it's uh, really bad <laughs> and then well, I real watched... quick let's just, just explain what the, it's a blade runner ripoff starring gear Pe- yeah guy gear pierce guy, guy pierce. pierce yeah pierce yeah gear oh. pierce he's, he's his german uh, cousin yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like an 80 minute movie stretched to 100 just by having long scenes um mm-hmm. and it's not good. Um I also watched uh Mogul Mowgli. Um Ooh, I want to see that. Uh which I which I quite liked um and of course Riz Ahmed who co-wrote and stars in it um is really fantastic. It's 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 really good. Um I did not know I, he co-wrote that. That makes me even more intrigued to see this. Yeah, yeah. Um I saw this documentary that premiered, I think it was at Telluride, um, called Bernstein's Wall about Leonard Bernstein. Um, And that was actually really interesting. Um, It kind of has that um, it they they found a bunch of footage of Leonard Bernstein, who basically was interviewed throughout his career. And so he kind of narrates his own life, um, which produces a little bit of a a slightly unreliable um, narrator in terms of exploring some of the things that happened in his life and the repercussions of those. Um, But it's, but it's a really interesting documentary and it kind of like set me up for the Netflix movie that, uh, that Bradley uh, Cooper is making about Leonard Bernstein. Um, And I'll be interested to see how that gets adapted. And then honestly, the, the other movie that I saw this week was uh, I saw Dune, which I absolutely loved. Um, I mean, like it kind of like not, it really knocked my socks off. Um, although I, my take was, you know, I, I didn't want to be as rhapsodic on social media, but I, but I definitely, um, uh, recognize that I'm a person who absolutely gravitates towards like slightly overlong, really operatic, beautiful visuals, um, slowed pacing to the, almost to the point of glacial, um, you know, I, it was, it's very, it, the world building is fantastic. And, um, and I, I just really loved it. I did. I, it was like one of those things where I, I, I couldn't remember the last time I'd seen a movie where I felt like I got so fully sort of engulfed in it and, um, and getting the opportunity to see that on, on the big screen was, uh, was a real treat as much as really just enjoying the movie. And I, my, my most fervent hope is that they get to make, uh, another one and or more of them because, um, you know, it is it was labeled as part one and it definitely feels like a part one of multiple parts. Now, Todd, well, what if I watch this on an iPad? Is that OK? <laughs> uh, I mean, you certainly uh, the thing is, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a person who's uh, necessarily um, has has any particular advocacy about um, theatrical viewing versus um, home viewing. Um, but I had but like I, I got invited to see it and I saw it at, at Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, and I will say that like the scope and the sound in a giant theater is mesmerizing in a way that I, I question whether it would be, 
you know, watching it on your laptop or something yeah. like that. But well, I'll uh, send you your check after this show. Yes, please. please. <laughs> I mean, it's you know, it's fun, funny not to get into it too for, yeah. in, in too depth. But but, you know, it's like this sort of argument that seems to be bouncing back and forth is kind of like, um, you know, obviously movies endure, obviously movies um, succeed and achieve on longevity because of multiple viewings that are not in a the theater. But I do think there is a a movie like this to me is a wonderful reminder of how powerful the theatrical experience can be, even if it's not essential for every movie or even in every case with the same movie. So um, it was a, like I said, it was special and it was uh, extremely enjoyable. And, um, and I do want to go see it again uh, in the theaters, but also I'm like, it's also going to be released, you know, via HBO max. And if I have to watch it that way, I don't think that I'll mind either. So I mean, me. it, it doesn't sound that interesting to me, but I do look forward to when Guy Pierce stars in the remake, uh, Sandy War. Guy Pierce. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you know, he's. I, I think he. I think he just got cast in that, so you know, <laughs> probably going to happen soon. And um, you know, it's a different. Um, a different French uh, director is going to 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 sort of take over, but it'll. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it will. And it won't be derivative at all. Uh, yeah. I'm sure. There you go. Hey, what about you? What have you seen recently? I got to Cool Hand Luke making a road. <laughs> so okay. Todd, they so just finished to... with two hours to spare in that day. Todd, just to get, just to give you a recap, Abe started Cool Hand Luke months ago and never finished it, despite the fact that he was enjoying <laughs> no, it. And so now yeah, every time we we check in with him to make to see how far he's progressed since then, and it's been a lot of nothing until now apparently. He's made a road. They they've you know. They're, they're, I, I don't know they're, what's going to happen next. What if they make two roads? I don't know. I mean, uh, are you purposefully not watching the yeah, rest of it? It kind of feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just getting back to it. I'm getting back into it uh, more steadily. Uh, they did finish a road. Um, and uh, I, I'm still intrigued as to what I'm seeing here. Paul Newman, what a guy. What a guy. Um, so that's the that's the Cool Hand Luke update. I also have been watching – I watched episode four of What If on Disney+, Plus, and it's a, it's a darker episode for sure, but I, I certainly liked what they were trying to do with the entire What If universe. And I like that they are stretching their imagination so that it's not just all uh, rainbows and sunshine, but uh, it, it certainly was a, a nice little uh, vignette into Stephen Strange and also how – the parallels into how you can think about it for life and how you have events that could never change are it's a a deep thought. So I'm glad that they're making some of these shows that are, I guess being well-received, but also have mature themes in them Um, and reservation dogs. So kind of just a lot of TV actually. All right. Well, the cool hand Luke saga continues, but uh... it continues. (laughs) Have you started reservation dogs yet? I don't have Hulu. So no. Okay. I, I I am it's a freshly especially frustrating because why the last man's coming soon. Now I'm like, do I get Hulu? Because I'm like that's one of my favorite comics ever. So it's like mm-hmm. and then I would be able to watch certain things. But also I hate having less time to do stuff. So if I add a whole other streaming service with a lot of shows that I yes, would like to watch, that means I have to like spend more time on this. And it's like when mm-hmm. am I gonna find all this time to watch like six shows that I know I'll probably really like? Yeah, you, know? you should just never sleep. <laughs> yeah. That that's the answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I've seen a few things uh, this week and recently that embargoes dropped so I can actually talk about them now. 
Mm-hmm. I'll talk about the bad ones first. First up is Karen. Um, this is a movie inspired by the various Karens that have gone viral on social media. Uh, it stars Taryn Manning as a Karen who's named Karen. Yeah, um, it doesn't get really that deep. Uh, it starts out as this trashy thing uh, as far as like white woman calling you know, making, like, doing the worst things possible to, like, her new black neighbors and, like, various uh, microaggressions, what have you. Then it just proceeds to be, like, terrible um, by adding, like, a backstory to make it, like, to give her some kind of, like, reasoning. And it's like, I don't know. This is, like, it's already, like, not good. But then it's like, why try to, like, add dimension to this? There's, there's like, just make her evil. Regardless, it's a terrible movie. It's terribly made. It's awful. Um, the next is Yakuza Princess, which is uh, adapted from a graphic novel that I'm not too familiar mm-hmm. with. It takes this, it has a really unique setting because it's set in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which has a huge Japanese population apparently, and it involves mm-hmm. the yakuza. Uh, there is a a an orphan girl who realizes she's like the heir to this guy, this uh, part of the like part of the yakuza fortune or what have you, and she teams up with Jonathan Rice Myers as a uh, like an amnesiac assassin himself. And all of this sounds like it should be a lot more fun, and it's not. It's not very fun at all, and it's a shame, because there's, like, stuff there that could work if it was better directed, action-wise, or what have you, but instead it just kind of falls flat on its face, and it's annoying. How are the leads? The, let's see, Rise by, it's it's weird because it's like, he's fine, but it's like, why is he here in this movie that's so, like, Japanese populated? And I guess it's maybe a Mm -hmm. graphic novel aspect, but, like, did the graphic novel have just, like, this random white guy amidst all these other Japanese people? Regardless, he does okay, and the lead is... What's her name? She's like a singer, I believe. Also, she has like it's like one name, like Mas- Masumi or something like that. Uh, that might, I think that's right, but but like the, I mean, it's a nothing. Like it's not a fun. Like it's the movie should be like pulpy fun, and it's just not that. And it's it's like yeah, it, it it feels like it wants to be too. Like the way the opening titles come up and everything, you're like, yeah, okay, this will be like a fun like riff thing. And it's like, oh, you just this is just not fun. So all right, uh, I watched Worth. This is the this is that like movie that comes out like on Labor Day weekend that has like the you know it, it seems like it's supposed to be important but there's a reason it's also coming out on Labor Day weekend that tends to happen. Um, it stars Michael Keaton uh, as a a numbers guy who's working. It's like set back in at 9/11 and it's it's um he's trying to he, he's working on the 9/11 fund and how to properly compensate people that were lost you know families of people that are that are lost in 9/11. Stanley Tucci plays like his not like the antagonist, not antagonist is the wrong word, but he, like he's the guy that's opposing the kind of formula that he's developed for this to happen, and it's a kind of a back and forth as far as how to properly, you know, compensate people and deal with the things that are going on. There is a premise here that I think is interesting, but the film doesn't do much with that to make it better than it is, despite the fact that you have, you know, the Tooch and Michael Keaton. Um, and it's a shame, but I also see why it's just kind of been dumped on Netflix Oh. you know without any like real fanfare uh, so it's out there and like you know they're good because they're michael keaton stanley tucci and amy ryan for that matter like they're all good but the movie's just kind of nothing yeah um let's see some better things i saw okay because i was like this is a lot of nothing movies that you've been naming yeah so there's there's three better ones that i saw uh-huh. one is called we need to do something uh, this features pat healy among others um who's a wonderful character actor uh there it, it's him and uh, vanessa shaw plays his wife and he has two kids one of them is the lead female from um uh, vast of night um sierra mccormick 
they are a family that are trapped in a bathroom due to a storm. So like a giant tree's like blocked a door or something so they can't get out. Um, the film takes place almost entirely in this one room and it's about something happening outside that they're not aware of while they kind of slowly unravel on the inside. And we kind of learn more about what may have caused this to happen to begin with, which might be supernatural in nature or it might not be. But um, as far as a kind of locked in drama feature or horror thriller featuring like four people and them dealing with stuff, it's it's entertaining. Uh, it's darkly funny at times. And there's like one really big jump scare that really worked on me. So it's like, OK, good job, movie for like a first time director making a movie in one room that he filmed during COVID, I believe. Um, it, it's, it's got some it's got some moves. Um, let's see. Next one is Wild Indian. Uh, this film premiered at Sundance. It featured I should get these names too, but one of the actors is Michael Grayes, who is a Native American. It features two Native American actors. The other's name is eluding me right now, uh, but they're both very good in this kind of slow burn thriller about these two childhood friends who murder a schoolmate of theirs and then that, that's the first act. There, that's like the first like like that prologue, and then the rest of the movie is them as adults. They've both gone their own down their own paths, and we kind of see who they are as people now, and how they're how they're dealing with kind of this like mental stress that's in their mind as far as who they are and what they can be. I feel like the film there's a way to made this film where it really reflects the fact that they're Native Americans living in a society where they're you know not them not the majority, and how that deals with that. But instead, it while that's a factor, it deals more with just kind of this this cerebral drama that they're going through. And I thought it was quite effective. I think the performances from both leads are very good. Um, and it's certainly worthwhile. It's like in limited release now. And uh, one more, the last film is language lessons. Um, this, uh, this film is, uh, it's a Duplass production. It stars Mark Duplass and Natalie Morales. They wrote the script together. Natalie Morales directs the film. It, it is set on like on a web, on web cameras on zoom or what have you. Um, Mark Duplass is, he has, a, he has a boyfriend who bought him uh, Spanish lessons, and Adam Morales is the teacher. He's, he's surprised with these lessons, and the film is about them connecting over the over screens and teaching Spanish to each other, but then they also become friends, um, and things happen from there. For a movie that's set on screens, it's very good. Like it's, it's, It uses the format very well. I think it's, it's, it's directed in a way where you're constantly intrigued by how this is going to play out, where this is going to go. It, it's better than most as far as movies that are set on screens like this and the both Duplass and Morales are very good at it so I, I, I really enjoyed that movie so yeah that's what I got we're, we're all 10 years older now <laughs> <laughs> well that's enough please but we stayed on <laughs> all right let's move on now let's get to our let's get to our trailer talk where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers when it's coming out what we thought about what have you and of course, since we're talking about a Marvel film this week, let's talk about another Marvel trailer. We're talking Spider-Man colon No Way Home, the third entry in this Sony MCU crossover Spider-Man film series featuring Tom Holland, of course. This time around, as far as uh, Avengers mentors he gets to work with, we have Benedict Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange, um, who is apparently going to aid Spider-Man in resetting certain things so nobody's aware that he's Peter Parker, as everyone seemed to have seemingly found out at the end of the previous film. And things do not go as expected, and it seems as though Spider-Man is going to enter some kind of a multi-dimensional adventure where he has to deal with adversaries both from his own timeline and possibly others. With all that in mind, uh, Todd, where are you like, are you a fan of, this, of Tom Holland's Spider-Man and what these Spider-Man movies have been doing? Are you looking forward to this? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, the first one, honestly, um, it was it was it featured a scene that I felt like I had never seen in any superhero movie, which was it was taken directly from the comic books. But it was that that moment where he's like underneath all of the um, all of the rubble and um, and he's sort of like afraid and has to, you know, has all these doubts that he's facing as he sort of pushes his way out of it or whatever. And that was something that I felt like I'd never seen. And it and it gave a humanity to the character um, that I hadn't seen in a long time um, and that I found very appealing. Um, and so I've really liked both of the first two movies. Um, you know, I mean, I'm excited about the new one. Um, you know, certainly at this point, I feel like we we've reached a place where we know that people know how to tell a Spider-Man story. Um, you know, I mean, even even when they're not necessarily done uh, as well, as I would say happened with, say, the Andrew Garfield films, you know, I mean, like, I think that there's like a pretty strong grasp on the character, even as it's changing hands. Um, and so the idea of merging a lot of the, you know, mythologies of the earlier films, if in, if in fact that's what this new one is going to do, above and beyond the appearance of um, of, of Alfred Molina as uh, Dr. Octopus, um, is, is exciting. Um, and, you know, I mean, like I didn't, you know, I, I tend not to, to, to rush to hypothesize, uh, when I see a trailer, like I feel like the internet seemed to do, um, when this debuted, because everybody seemed to be very concerned that, um, Dr. Strange would make such a terrible decision and he would do this and that and all this other stuff. And I'm like, well, that's, the reason that movies happen is that characters make good decisions and they make bad decisions and they make some for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm confident with John Watts as a director again, it'll be, it'll be an interesting, um, exercise. I do, I, I, I do hope, and this was the one feedback that I sort of saw people, uh, make, which was that, you know, when you look at the old um, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, they are so colorful. And that's probably a reason that, I mean, there are plenty of reasons people could think that like the Green Goblin wasn't cool or, you know, look like a Power Ranger, which he kind of did. But also like the, the, vi the, the vibrancy of his cinematography that he did to me was, I think, a big part of the appeal of those films. And um, I'll be interested in seeing how much uh, John Watts sort of mimics any of that or if he just kind of like sort of maintains a slightly more naturalistic, um, you know, or sort of, you know, middle, middle, middle distance kind of uh, cinematography with the film. You know, those, those Raimi films were shot by Bill Pope, who did the cinematography for Shang-Chi, we're talking about later. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you, you guys planned it. Yeah. You, uh, Todd, you brought up the Doctor Strange thing, and it makes me think of something that occurred to me when the trailer dropped and there was that speculation. You know, I going back to um, Star Wars for a second, but when The Mandalorian was coming out around the same time as Rise of Skywalker, there was a sequence where there was, like, force healing introduced in The Mandalorian. Mm. And then, sure enough... Ray used force healing in the actual Star Wars movie as if the as if Disney was all aligned to be like, well, if we have a new force power, what if we introduced it in the show first? So by the time they see this movie, it's like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that exists in this universe. This this week, we had a what if episode that Abe, you described where Doctor Strange does some reckless things to, you know, better himself or better like the situation he's in. And sure enough, we got a trailer for Spider-Man where Doctor Strange does reckless things uh, to uh, ideally help Spider-Man out in some way. It feel, it's like 
I feel like there's a there's a lot of like covering their bases that's going on in in how to handle these things, which I just I find interesting. But it also just makes me curious: do people pay attention to these characters? Like Doctor Strange, it seems pretty Doctor Strange thing to do as far as setting up this movie. But regardless, I I am looking forward to this because as I've said many times, I've yet to see a bad Spider-Man movie, so I have no reason to not think I'm going to see a good Spider-Man movie here. And yes, the Marvel ones have been entertaining enough for sure. I. John Watts isn't really doing much for me as a director beyond seemingly getting the job done, but I, you know, I always want, want things to succeed, so I, I want this to be, you know, another fun entry in the world of Spider-Man. I, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan in general, so, you know, getting more of that and whatever they plan to do as far as how they explore previous iterations of various villains or possibly other Spider-Men, that's all well and good. I like to think the introduction of Dr. Octopus is more of a taste of what's to come as opposed to a, you know, like, this is it. We got, like, one guy to come back because, I like, these trailers tend to hold back a lot. But then again, Sony tends to drop, you know, drop everything. So we'll see. I'm, I'm very curious what the what the ad campaign is going to be leaning towards. Is going to be more MCU, Good job, Sony. MCU where it lies to you directly about what's happening or the Sony where it's like, here's everything we possibly have about this movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, well, we're all looking forward to it, obviously. Spider-Man, but... I, I I am I am very curious like what else is to come as far as this movie is concerned. Uh, Peter, where are you on Spider Man? Yeah, I, I you know I pretty much agree with what everyone else is saying. I I feel like the joy, you know the the my main joy with the Tom Holland Spider Mans has been that although I do think Spider Man Two is still one of my favorite superhero movies ever, I always thought that. Toby Maguire, even in the first Spider-Man, never seemed like a high school kid. I don't know how old he actually was. And he's 27. The, oh right, well there you go. Uh, and he, and then, he graduated at the end of the first act, but whatever, it's fine. He does. He does, <laughs> he does, he does. But like I, I guess I've all, I've really enjoyed the, Tom Holland and the, their version of this being a very teenagery focused Spider-Man. I just I just really like that, and and it's it is the kind of thing that is what makes him still somewhat you know, um, not as, I don't know, I don't want to say necessarily as powerful, but not as like imposing as, as the, the main Avengers or whatever of the, of the first three yeah, phases. He's your friendly neighborhood so, Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. He's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And I like his friends and Zidane and everything. And the other thing I would say is that I, I think that Spider-Man has been around for so long, not as long as Batman, as far as movies, I think Batman's 80, the Burton Batman's 89, um, but I feel like we've had so many Spider-Men and so many Batman that I like that we, it feels like the studios loosen up a little when they, when they get to their, you know, third or fourth iteration. So I think, yeah, the new, the trailer of this with the, with the possible, possible other Spider-Mans and certainly bringing, uh, Doc Ock or whatever back, you know, with the same actor. Um, yeah, that looks, it just seems really fun and inventive. Like it's, it's sort of like. These kind of Batman or Spider-Man, they are able to kind of loosen up a little. It's like, look, you all know Spider-Man. And, so and audiences always love it when they loosen up on the third entry. That's why people love Superman 3 and Batman Forever <laughs> and Spider-Man 3. Well, you know, you're totally Batman right. Forever is the best one. No, no, no. You're totally right. I, you know what's really weird is that you are right. A lot of times the third one is not very good. But it's weird. I actually – I keep forgetting this is the third Spider-Man. Probably in the same sense that it's like – 
I don't think of Captain America Civil War as a third entry. Well, yeah, because you're part of this, like, thing. Yeah, it's all this <laughs> big MCU stuff, like, so... Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think it looks, yeah, I think it looks really, you know, really fun. And, like, uh, with Captain America, yeah. that's like baked into the Avengers where like Thor and what is it? The other one, um, <laughs> uh, what's the other Captain, one? Wait, Thor, Captain Iron Man, Iron Man. Like oh, they're, Iron Man. yeah, they're more that like, th- those Thor, are more, yeah. those are more standalone by comparison. Correct. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, the, um, other, the other one. That's how, that's how far Tony Stark has fallen in my eyes. Apparently <laughs> the, the other one, you know, him. <laughs> Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm looking, I'm, I, I can't wait. Wait, is it, De- I, I, I just remember, is it December 17th? Is that when it's coming out? It, it is, yes. Okay. Yeah. I say And then we get, Eternals, <laughs> Eternals is November. Is yes, right? it is. Yes. Yeah. So October is our only month with no MCU. No, we got Venom coming. He's not MCU, but we got the, we got the Venom. Oh, uh, yes. You can't, can't so, wait. Can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Forgot about that. To be fair, Venom looks fun. Like, as much as I wasn't big <laughs> yes. on the first one, this one, the second one does look like, all right, yeah, or, yeah, Carnage, sure, why not? <laughs> hey, how about you? Where are you with Spider-Man? You know, in, in Jerry Maguire, when he is at the Arizona Cardinals game with Rod Tidwell. Go on. And um, he points at, at Rod, and Rod points at him after they got the winning touchdown there in the hallway. Yeah. And then Jerry's like, I'm just going to go get a flight to LAX and go find uh, uh, this woman that I love. Um, and then. Uh-huh. Shut up. Just shut up. You add me at hello. <laughs> That's pretty much where I am with this trailer. And she's like, yeah, I don't need to say anything else. It's just well, I just want to pause for one second. Yes. And- and I want to thank you, Abe, for for really reenacting this extremely cryptic <laughs> moment from film history that no one has <laughs> for 25 years, except that it's been utterly etched on the memories of every single person. I like when that, you I, probably I, have just said you had me at hello, and yet I, I just I, I really admire. Todd, it's about the setup. I like that. Yeah, you backed it up to the Tidwell thing, which has nothing no nothing really to do with any of this at the end of the day. Yes, I'm saying, I'm saying, I really, I really admire your commitment to this. So please continue. I commitment called commitment. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't need to say anything else. Spider-Man, no, no way home. Let's go. All right. Well, uh, the movie does open December seventeenth, and uh, yeah, we'll all be there with bells on and not 3D glasses, probably. Yes. Do we do that anymore? Is that still a thing? No. Um, <laughs> Shang-Chi was in 3D, apparently. I didn't see it in 3D, but it was. It was. <laughs> and there's some shots. They're, they're, like, throwing daggers around. It's like, yeah, that would be neat to see in 3D, I guess. I don't know. I don't care about 3D anymore. Uh, but, yeah, Spider-Man. It's coming. All right. Well, speaking of Marvel, let's move on. Let's get to our view for Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. The Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day... You have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. I told my men... They wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. Yeah. 
just a criminal who murders people. Be careful how you speak to me, boy. I thought I could change my name. Start a new life. But I could never escape his shadow. run from your past all right that should have been some of the trailer for shang chi and the legend of the ten rings the master of kung fu himself shang chi is the 25th mcu film the second entry in phase four and set in a post endgame world it stars simu lu as a man living a humble life in san francisco as a valet only to be drawn back into the world he escaped you see his father played by tony lung is the leader of the Ten Rings, a criminal organization named after the powerful Ten Rings he wields as weapons. Shang-Chi and his best friend Katie, played by Aquafina, head to China first to connect with, their, with his sister, only to find themselves dealing directly with their father, who has plans of his own, which may unleash an even bigger threat. The film is directed by Short Term 12's Destin Daniel Cretton, with cinematography by Bill Pope, and stunt coordination by the late Brad Allen. Todd, how does Shang-Chi stack up as a Marvel action film, and what do you think of the film overall? Um, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, you know, I, you touched on something when we were talking about the trailer earlier that I thought was really good uh, or really appropriate for this film, which is, of course, like sort of the idea of how all these different interactive Marvel Cinematic Universe stories sort of overlap and intersect and everything. And, you know, uh, particularly after Black Widow, which because it's set in the past, it's, you know, and it doesn't necessarily have... Um, you know, uh, an enormous amount of stakes for things going forward, except for in a post uh, credit sequence, which, of course, was foregrounded a little bit on one of the TV. Was it WandaVision? Maybe is that where that character that? Um, yes. Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Like I never wish I hadn't seen, um, you know, Falcon. I really. Falcon yeah, I, the, I really liked um, uh, I think the action is great to answer your question. Uh, directly um, in the film. I also think um, that it succeeds most when it's kind of functioning on its own terms, as opposed to trying to fold in um, past, present and future elements of the MCU mythology. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, with, with Black Widow being sort of like the first post Avengers film um, at, that, that sort of was supposed to kickstart uh phase four, I think this is actually a better, um, Kickstarter for that because, Easily. um, it's, it's not, it's not rushing to try to build, um, necessarily a mythology that, that can work with the other movies. It just has, it's telling its own story and it's telling a really interesting one, um, that has of course a lot of cultural specificity, but also I think it just, it sort of approaches, um, its own mythology with with this kind of amazing um, pastiche of of styles from um, Asian martial arts and Asian action cinema over the last you know forty plus years um, that I think that it it utilizes really well um, to you know really introduce us to a character who you know myself included did not know well. Um, most audiences did not know well before this film. And now I think kind of like rightfully sort of earned him a place 
um, particularly in a Marvel Cinematic Universe where there is uh, a Tom Holland, Amazing Spider-Man, who to some extent is marveling at being a superhero while he's being a superhero and is sort of, you know, not that I do think that we need a lot of superheroes who are like crazy, right? I don't think that's actually a good thing as a rule, but I do think that, you know, acknowledging that we are still, at least within the cinematic universe, in a world where superheroes are still very unique. Um, and so therefore, when people are realizing that they have these abilities or they are coming into this community of superheroes, then there is a degree of excitement and of no pun intended marveling at sort of that, that what that world means for them and for the world itself. Peter, as a Asian American and a man who likes big, stupid summer blockbusters, what did you think <laughs> of Shang-Chi? I liked it a lot. I, um, I thought it was very, um, loose and fun. Um, I, I really, I really appreciated the, the kind of like normalcy to the, to uh, the character, even though, even though, you know, uh, we meet him as Sean or whatever, or, or well, when in, in, in our uh, time, uh, even though he has his you know, past and everything, I, I always really like seeing, and it's funny going back to Peter Parker, I always really like seeing characters that, you know, have to have jobs and stuff. I, not that I don't love the Tony Starks of the world, you know, or Thor's, but I always like that. And yeah, I guess as an Asian American, I would say I, that East meets West, I feel like they, or they lean into it just enough for something like an MCU. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the farewell, which also starred Aquafina, but, but I was surprised how well, um, the, the kind of culture class of a, of a person who has been in America, you know, in, been in San Francisco for 10, at least 10 years, um, and going back to his roots worked pretty well. I, I can't really think of anything where I was, I wasn't, especially, you know, look, MCU is owned by Disney. I was in no way thinking that I was going to be like offended or anything. And I, I think it was more wondering I what they would necessarily do with their pandered to. Yeah. Maybe be pandered to, or like what they could do to, I mean, look, you know, like, like it or not, we have, you know, black Panther before this, and then we have captain Marvel. And so we kind of can look at those, for good or for bad of of what you know works or doesn't work with those movies we but they were both hugely successful we can kind of look and see like oh well this is kind of what disney did you know with black panther they created this world of wakanda you know so it wasn't just t'challa's journey and everything and how much that that seemed to communicate um resonate sorry with the black community and i i wasn't sure going into shang chi what i was like well will that like, will I watch that movie and think that if I was a kid, if I was like 10 year old Peter, would I be like inspired? And I I think in a way, yes. And again, but I think it comes down to the relatability of of Sean slash uh, Shang-Chi. Um, and also just as a fan, more of as a movie nerd, not necessarily just an Asian-American, um, you know, as a person who love, loves a lot of Hong Kong martial art movies. I thought they did a pretty good job with like the fight scenes and stuff. You know, there's a there's a scene that's been in, in the trailer that's a big bus scene. And I think the fight scene is pretty well done, even if the even if the the bus and the main action around it is still very green screen. It's like, well, yeah, that obviously is fake. 
or whatever. I was surprised. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it's the legend of Feng Sayuk or something, but I, I thought it was like pretty, I was pretty engaged. I, I was like, oh, this is pretty good. So yeah, I, I was uh, pretty, pretty thoroughly enjoyed it. Again, we can get to the positives and negative, but overall, yes, I would say, yeah, as an Asian American, I was like, yeah, this is, I'm, you know, I like this and I can endorse this. Ape, where are you yes. with Shang-Chi? How come you didn't preface it with me being Asian American? Well, when I when I when I get to these, I assume all the all the previous questions become encompassed within yours. So it's like I'm shooting oh, ten okay, rings at you it. of power that have all of the ingredients matched in. So you're just like, yeah, let me go along with the questions that Aaron previously asked and, and answer. Uh, Shang Chi is very good. It is a really good movie overall uh, as a standalone. It's also a really good. Uh, origin story for the Marvel Universe. You know, watching this movie, I kind of thought back to some of the origins that we have seen. Todd brought up Black Widow, but I also thought of Captain Marvel, and I was like, why, like, what did, why did the Captain Marvel movie not do it all for me? It's like, it felt rushed, and we talked about it during that review. And this one, it seems to really take its time to let it breathe and give you storylines of these characters that we're going to have to follow for the next, I don't know, maybe another decade? Um, and that's really great that's really cool to see that they're uh that they finally found their footing i suppose and they're like yeah if we're gonna make an origin story let's make it its own standalone movie and allow it to be itself um i think the other things that peter sort of talked about are just like i love that it's clarity in action is there like some of them are a little bit dark sure but at the same time like kudos to brad allen who's a a, um, a student of jackie chan and kind of helped uh, to do the action choreography here in R.A.P., uh, but certainly is a clean-looking action movie, which is great uh, to see that as well. And I, I honestly do want to credit Marvel for going with the empathetic villain. Um, they've kind of yeah, really, sure. yeah, they, they've kind of like really nailed this, like since they built up Thanos and whatever else. But in this movie here, it like. From all the trailers, we kind of know that that Tony Lung has a darker turn uh, to some degree. And in this movie, I'm just like, I I get it. Like, I get where he's coming from. I understand his pain. I kind of also see the conflict. So there's that, too. Um, And, like, truth be told, I was like, you know, like, you're not you're not really a villain, per se. But like all these bad things that you're doing, yes, they're they're not great, and also the historical record of it is not great. But you know, like I get where you're coming from, and then like I I think just on the overall, you know, how we we talk about representation and how it matters. Like this is a really cool movie just to have the experience of um, Asian Americans on the screen or just uh, Asians in general on the screen, and having them have leads and. I think one of our friends, friends of the show, Michael Lee, mentioned this in a tweet, but just more of having people that actually speak Mandarin um, on that screen. And then all these folks have they might they might have had some practice uh, because Tony Lung definitely speaks Cantonese probably way better than he speaks Mandarin. But um, there just is a really nice like, hey, cool. Thanks for incorporating that into the movie. Whereas we watched Mulan like. Was it just this year or was it last year? It was last year. Last, uh, last year. And we were just like, what is this? You know, like this just doesn't feel like <laughs> like it. they they took all the care that they could have in making a, an Asian-American protagonist story on the screen. And for Shang-Chi, it's just like, hey, man, like, let's just make this movie. That's an action movie. But make it 
very appropriate and make it really stand out and let's put our stamp on it. Like Dan, uh, Destin Daniel Creighton, I, I wasn't really sure because I was like, well, he's a really good dramatic director because we love short-term, short-term, short-term 12 on this. Um, and he brings the dramatic aspect to it. There were very emotional scenes in this movie for me. And I was like, oh, this is well done here. And lastly, this is probably the best Avatar last airbender movie we'll ever get on the, the big screen. <laughs> yes. Like, I mean that sincerely. And I was just like, this is, you know, if somebody were to make that, that uh, adaptation for the big, big screen, oh, they're going to have to like fight this one because this is a really good lost person with historical past trauma that's coming back, accepting their fate and wielding it. Um, for better and for worse, right? Like, kind of having to deal with, like, the dichotomy of being good and bad. Uh, but last, last is, like, dude, if you are 90s Tony Lung, like, you've made a mistake by fucking with that guy. Because if you're not <laughs> seeing hard-boiled the killer, like, come on! Who, you, who do you think you're messing with? So, overall, a really strong movie by on its own merits, but it's also a really strong introduction to the character and also a really great uh, a really great addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Did they de-age t- Tony? Like, I know no, supposed to be, like, they just th- left him. He's supposed to be thousands of years old, so like, I guess right. they didn't really need to, but I'm like, yeah, Jesus, he looks good. Like, he, looks like, he looks so young still, I guess. <laughs> They're just like, let's leave him as some, but give him this really dope-ass 90s uh, blazer. Oh, yeah. I mean, his... <laughs> As far as costume design goes, he certainly seems comfortable as well as menacing and also like inviting all at the same time, which is the gift of Tony Lung, who is great in this movie. I I think he's excellent. He's one of the one of the best Marvel villains, both by default because, hey, it's Tony Lung, but also because I think the movie gives great weight to the tragedy that he elevates the film toward by just having his presence and having him, you know, spout lines that in any other movie or the other actor would be more rote. Uh, but Tony Lung brings something to it that just just feels better, um, which is not a bad place to be in terms of trying to create a compelling, you know, villainous threats in the midst of an origin story for a character we seemingly want to follow for, like you said, Abe, like another decade or so. Um, well, he doesn't. Well, I mean, the thing about Tony Lung, not to turn this into an endless admiration of him, but uh, although it's well deserved, is you know he never brings too much. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, his his stillness uh, as an actor, I think does so much more than than an actor maybe more traditionally playing a villain could. And so as you watch him on screen, he doesn't need to be the guy who is raising his voice to, you know, communicate his strength or to, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, you really feel the weight of the thousands of the, the literal thousand years that he has lived to to be able to um, for him to go, you know, my son can, you know, talk some trash or, you know, I can have an, an opponent or whatever it is. And I don't have to I don't have to raise my voice. I don't have to get mad. I don't there's no reason for me even to remotely um, to show my ass in order to advertise my strength. And, you know, it makes him menacing, but also it 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 communicates exactly that wealth, that well of, of emotionality 
that drives him so that, you know, even if it's misguided for the sake of 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 the story that Shang-Chi is experiencing now, understanding it fully, um, you know, it's something that that you're that, you know, I mean, few people do emotional longing better than Tony Long already. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to but to add that. Um, sort of layer to the character and to his performance. I mean, I think it might be the best performance that I've ever seen in a Marvel movie, like bar none. Um, You know, even though I think that there have been some incredible villains and some incredible heroic turns as well, I think that he does such a great job. Um, And to back up just slightly, I think that um, what you were talking about, about Destin Daniel Cretton sort of approaching this, not just from a more dramatic standpoint, but honestly, I think embracing the the tempo and the tonality of many of the um, Asian martial arts films that he took inspiration from, I think gives the movie a a greater degree of patience um, that allows um, the dimensionality of the characters to come out. Um, that allows us, I think sometimes it does suffer a little bit from being over long. I think there's a point towards the end where I'm like, I think we just need to kind of get on with it as opposed to like spending a little more time reflecting. Um, but I think as a rule, uh, or in general, I think the movie does such a good job of, of sort of harnessing or evoking, you know, the, the tonality of a movie like say, um, uh, house of flying daggers or hero, or, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon or something like that, where where you're watching, um, you know, this breathtaking action, but it's but it's really contextualized in the lives and the experiences of these characters. And so I think that's what really enhances um, the overall success of this movie and makes it stand out from the other Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, um, much less recent or, you know, further in the past. I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. And that's why, you know, as far as my general thoughts of the movie goes, like, I think this is the best standalone, you know, non Avengers, uh, Marvel movie since, um, black Panther. I think it, and it has a lot in common with black Panther as, as far as that goes, as far as giving you, you know, a variety of characters that introduce this whole, you know, side of the universe to you. Um, as far as the 10 rings go and what Chang Chi and his family are all about and everything like it, it does so much of that really well that I was very much, into the drama unfolding. I agree with you that it's a little long and that we have a lot of time spent, uh, you know, in certain areas where we could either jettison some of this or just tighten mm-hmm. it up a bit. But regardless, it, it doesn't affect it too much because the film's just very entertaining and does a great job with this cast that it's assembled here. And, for, and it, you know, it's doing it from a variety of angles. As an action movie, I think it's excellent. I, I, I you know, thinking about what the, the best action in a MCU film is, I'm hard pressed to think of better like action sequences than some of the fights that we get in Shang-Chi. Uh, certainly in terms of like hand, you know, hand to hand combat, obviously there's, you know, sure. big blow em up stuff with the CGI and all that, which is like, great. Yeah, that's cool. But in terms of like watching, you know, Simu Liu on a bus pulling off moves that seem very much inspired by some of Jackie Chan's fight scenes with like him taking off the jacket, fighting a guy, putting the jacket back on, then punching a guy, right. punching like that's, that's awesome. Like it's great. And it's great to see. And it's clear. Like this is a, you know, a month or so after snake eyes, which was terrible as far as the action goes. It's like, and for other reasons, but like, you know, watching this movie, it's like, see, we can do this. Like, it's not hard to make a blockbuster film where you can actually see the stuff that's worth the blockbuster dollar. Like I, so it's like, it's such a relief to watch this movie, especially after the trailers for Shang-Chi, which I was not impressed by. Like I, 
you know, by default, I'd be seeing the movie. It's a new Marvel movie. I don't, you know, the track record's solid. It's like, why would I expect this to be bad? But the trailers, even for other Marvel movies, I've liked them more. So watching this one, it was like, okay, like, cool. I, I want this to be good, but, like, you're not selling me on it as far as, you know, getting me amped up. So, like, watching this movie unfold is like, good. I'm so I'm so happy that there's a lot going for this beyond just a standard origin story, which is how some of these tend to feel. Uh, this one feels like it elevates itself because it has more going on as far as how its filmmaking's handled, how the cast is. I mean, the, having Tony Lung in a Marvel movie alone is like, what sorcery did Doctor Strange conduct to make this happen? But here we are. Um, but yeah, it has all of those aspects. And yes, on top of that, as I you know alluded to by talking you know or to asking Peter about this, and you know Abe, I'd be happy to hear more of what you have to say about this. You know, being the first Marvel film that has a you know an Asian lead, like that. That is also a huge thing, and the idea that it's incorporating various elements of culture into this, it reminds me of something, Todd, you actually said when Black Panther came out. You, you there, I think it was a tweet you made addressing something along the lines of, you know, there are aspects of this movie that I'm not going to get, but other audiences will, and I'm okay with that. And I think that's present here as well. Like, there's, you know, there are things happening that I do think will resonate with a certain audience more so than other audiences, but it's not because it's being forced in or being, you know, as a way to kind of pander to get more acclaim or whatnot. It's just, hey, we have people behind the camera and in front of the camera that can all agree on how to make the best movie that represents like who these, you know, who these people are, how they fit into this universe and what makes it as special, both on a universal level and as a first in sake of specificity. And mm -hmm. in that regard, that's great. Like, if that means that, like, yes, younger audiences will see this and they'll see people that look like them and they can, like, aspire to be something like that or any other character they want to, obviously. But if they can look at something like this and be like, yeah, great. Like, that's 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 the kind of Marvel magic that I think has helped connect people to these movies over the years. And now you're doing it, you know, for a in a certain realm that hasn't been explored as much, if not at all. And it's like, I'm so glad it's worked out well. Like, there are other ones of these. Like, we talked about Black Widow recently. I'm I'm not the biggest fan of Captain Marvel either. It's a coincidence that they had to be the movies that are led by females. But, I mean, it's it's just like those movies just aren't as good as some of these other ones. And it's a shame. But this one really worked for me. I was very – I was not just, like, impressed as far as, hey, I had a fun time. But it's like, this is just a really solid, like, movie. And it's within this universe that's, yeah, both connected and not because it's so standalone. So, I mean, on the whole, a lot of things working in this movie's favor. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, just to interrupt uh, briefly, uh, I, because I do want to hear more from, from Peter and Abe about it. You know, one of the things that I think is important in the film is to point out that, uh, you know, and, and it's relevant to the film, which is that, that Asian culture is not a monolith. And I do think that as as wonderful it is as it is for this film to be representative of of a hero who is who is Asian, um, I think that it's that it's specificity within um, sort of like the Chinese culture that it draws from is is something that also elevates it. Um, and that and that really creates like a really um, powerful, I think, statement, um, both for the viewer and also for exploring, you know, sort of the the influences, um, you know, be it uh, be it sort of the, the familial um, aspects of his relationship with his father, his sister, um, his mother, but also the, you know, the action um, sort of the the uh, the the you know the sort of Tai Chi Yin Yang um, sort mm -hmm. of um, martial arts culture 
um, and the philosophical elements that um, that are are as uh, that are essential, I think, very much to a lot of Chinese um, storytelling. And um, and so, again, I want to happily yield to, to both of their uh, for their perspective. But that was something that really stood out to me because there was this real excitement about the fact that it was like the first Asian superhero. And I'm like, it is it is it is broadly the first Asian superhero that we certainly see on this scale. But there is a degree of cultural specificity, which I think brings out exactly what you were saying when you quoted my tweet about Black uh, Black Panther um, that I think is important to specify as people are re um, reacting to it, because it is something where not necessarily every single Asian person may respond to it in the exact same way. But I think that's what also gives it such a unique and wonderful um, opportunity to connect with a lot of people who probably have never seen anything like this, certainly in American cinema before. Mm -hmm. I think um you know, one thing I, I forgot to say, and it's going to it might sound really trivial, um, especially compared to what I think Todd just was saying really eloquently, better, better than I can I can uh, I, I could have said is <laughs> it's such a simple thing. But like um, there's a moment in the movie where he has to fight. I think it's supposed to be. Is it abomination? I yes. think is it the Tim Roth like character? That. Yes, it's Abomination. Well, yes, he calls so he, he calls him a meal. So yes, it's just right. <laughs> and he's about to go fight, and the guy says something like, "Oh, get ready, take your shirt off," or something like that. Which and it's played for laughs. Like, wait, take your shirt off? I mean, it's because a fight. But I have to say, um, and uh, in you know, we talk about how important representation is, and obviously there's there's a difference between my fifty something. Uh, me me being without a shirt in my 50s and Simu Lu, but but is there that's the only difference is the age that's no um but I will say it is cool to see because I I do feel like historically with Hollywood films we have seen many women like Asian women that are you know presented as sexy and like you know just yeah very attractive like on screen um and I I know this has been a conversation for years now, but we don't really see that in a lot of, still in a lot of like American films. So seeing him take his shirt off and be as sexy and cool as he can. Yeah, man, that was kind of cool. Like, <laughs> I know, I know that's, I know that to what Todd was saying, that sounds kind of minuscule. Like, is it that big of a deal? But it is, it was, it's like, it's cool to see. Yeah. Something, someone who is someone like, you know, uh, you know, someone Asian, being able to be, you know, sexy and hot. And again, I am not saying being sexy and hot should be like the end all be all. It is not, uh, but it's nice. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, of course it makes sense. Yeah. And, and Todd, there's like a lot to unpack with what you're mentioning as well as like, uh, Aaron, what you're mentioning too. There's, there's just, you know, I think that one of the things I want to address is that you had mentioned that, that, you know, Asian culture is not a monolith. And what I love about this movie is that it is a shining example of that. Right. Like they, it's a brother and sister duo. One of them speaks perfect English. The other one has um, like an Asian accent, so to speak, right? But that's because they grew up in different places at the same time. You know what I mean? And like, if people are wondering, like, well, why does Tony Lung have like this British accent when he speaks English? Like, because Hong Kong was, uh, you know, uh, imperialized by right. the British yeah. uh, Empire yeah, yeah. Like, until 1997. So if you don't know that, then it would be like, well, why did he choose that accent? It's like, he didn't. That's actually just his accent, right? Um, and so there's, like, really interesting things about that. But 
beyond that, yeah, there are like really funny like LOL moments of, of Asianness in this movie. Like, sure, taking the shoes off. Like, yeah, the filial piety and like the aspect of like uh, spirits being there and and having food and whatever else. But I think above all else, like what really strikes me the most and what really like helped to resonate the story and move it uh, and make me feel like the weight of it. It's Ty, you're mentioning the philosophical aspects of it, and I just really love like the adages and the like the wisdom that they employed in this movie. Whether that is like Tony Lung saying blood debts have to be blood by blood debts, it's like I get it, you know what I mean? Like things like that, where that is like for you know as as like. Asians are sometimes seen as like mystics and they like speak in like strange uh, tongues and whatever. It's like, no, like I, I think it's kind of just more like as these things pass down through generation to generation, you just kind of get this, the, they just become shorter and shorter until they become like nutshell statements. But it also, it, it avoids mm-hmm. certain jokes in that manner too. Like there's an easy way to like, I could easily see a Marvel movie making the joke where it's like trying to put that across and then like you know undercuts it by saying no it's not really like that i'm just kidding around or something it it just doesn't even bother with that kind of easy joke that i've heard in you know many other kinds of movies that way yeah along along with other like subversions of kind of tropes we've seen when it comes to how hollywood chooses to honor like you know the asian storylines like with luke Mm -hmm. onward example where it's like you know the you have to like respect family and the fun this feels like it's going against that if anything it's just like yeah i mean this one yeah it certainly feels like there's a western eastern clash here too 100 right? yeah yeah you know like we definitely have heard those stories you probably you guys probably have asian friends too where it's like yeah it's really hard for me growing up because our parents were really strict on me and then you know they grew up and, and we become our own uh, hopefully we become our own person and we lead our own lives but i think the other thing is also like back to the philosophical philosophical aspect is there's like a really nice show don't tell stuff in this movie and what i mean by that is like when Michelle Yeoh is talking with Shang-Chi and, and he's like, how do I defeat my father? She's like, just, there's like a closed fist, open hand aspect of things. And I was like, this is very Asian. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's like, it, you know, let me, like, you have to accept change and you have to accept things that you're not good at in order for you to become better at them. Right. It's a life philosophy that, you know expands beyond just like being asian or asian american it's kind of just like a universal truth for you to grow as a human being it's just like you know you have to understand that you have flaws and if you work on those flaws then you can uh, be better at them but also again be open to things so yeah there's like this really nice universality but uh, in showing it and allowing me to understand like cool yeah like he doesn't really gain powers per se he just becomes a fuller person you know what i mean and so yeah. that's like the, the cooler part about like this as a marvel storyline it's like, I actually don't know if Shang-Chi is like a superhuman. Like, he probably is not, right? Well, but, you know, he once you have ten rings, that, that kind of yes, helps. Yes, yeah, yeah. That, that aspect helps out a lot. But, I mean, like, he himself is not, it's not as though he has yeah, like, no, superhuman that's, that's abilities. actually a really cool point. And it's, I mean, honestly, it speaks to a lot of these Marvel characters. Most of them are fully formed when the movies began. They just unlock, like, themselves, right? Yeah, and and he's certainly one of them. Yeah. And and I would say also, you know, I mean, a a hero fighting with a legacy that he will inevitably inherit is certainly not a new idea to explore mm-hmm. in superhero movies or pretty much any other kind of movie. But I think what this movie does really beautifully is is that is that you have a character who, from the first time we see him fight, he is a person who is well trained and knows how to do 
be a hero, but is reluctant to do so. I mean, you were talking about that shirtless scene, Peter, and I, which I thought was such a great example to me where it's like he goes up there and he's like, OK, like he's not. And it's not necessarily like meant to be played for last, but it is the idea that he is unassuming and that his purpose is to be sort of this like you know, slightly less assuming guy who does not want to utilize all this, you know, terrible or amazing training that he received from his father, you know, the tutelage um, that he received as, as a, you know, member of the 10 rings. But then throughout the course of the movie, him reckoning with his legacy is not so much just this like bland um, superhero archetype Mm -hmm. as much as it is really him coming to terms with a family legacy that, that is, um, something that he's trying to live down, something that he's trying to understand, that he's trying to come to terms with and, you know, and learn as you, as, you know, as you, I think, Abe, you said really wonderfully, I think, you know, becoming like a, a, a like a fuller person at the end of the movie and how, you know, we've seen, you know, of course, there's hundreds of martial arts films that are about people with these unique s- skills, if it's, you know, uh, mad monkey kung fu or drunken drunken master or mm-hmm. you know whatever it is where these people are like well this is a thing that they somehow learned or adopted as a result of x y and z trauma or a result of x y and z ability or disability and i think that um this is sort of in some sense a bit of a clearinghouse for a lot of those ideas that i think that it employs really thoughtfully to to tell a great story that again has the specificity of sort of that 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 culture the the that Chinese cultural specificity and then on top of it you just have a really great um, uh, action movie you know that that has yeah. that has really good characters that I think that it deploys um, humor in the right ways that don't under uh, you know um, undercut sort of the gravitas of his growth and. And uh, and makes for a really entertaining experience. Yeah. Can we? Uh, sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say like you know just towards like the filmmaking aspect of things too. Like the editing in this and the way that they wrote the script, super solid. Like what I mean by that is like they don't we we aren't just given as an audience viewer we're not just given like the first two minutes are all just flashback. You know what I mean? It actually just intersects throughout at various times in the movie. Yeah. And it, it helps to unfold the story even more. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is a well done. Like, maybe that's why it feels like I know this character so well, like Shang Chi himself so well. I was like, oh, cool, yeah. Like, I wondered what this mission was about, and then I wondered why he accepted it, or whatever the case is, right? And like, I, I'm glad that that was, you know, not just an expo- exposition dump in the early on, and then we're just left with uh, the story as it unfolds. And that, that, that's exactly what I wanted more from Black Widow and what I was hoping it would be, that it wouldn't just be this like prime storyline that we got in it, but it would flash back to the things that you know she did that were so awful that I've been told about but never actually saw. And if we had like more flashbacks interspersed showing either her training or her doing like horrible wet work for the for Russia, like mm-hmm. that I think that would have that would have given me more context as to why I'm supposed to care about this story, why I'm supposed to care about her like getting back at those that made her do these horrible things. Instead, it's just this, you know, we get we get a 50 like you know 15 minute prologue followed right. by like the rest of the movie which is just a standard spy plot where this movie you're exactly right i really like how we kind of slowly learn what happened and from different perspectives too you know yeah. we, we get you know tony lung's side of things we get uh his the uh follow chan the wife's character like the the mother we get her kind mm-hmm. of side of things we get um uh, shang chi's side of things and we and we get the sister side. like we get all of these different perspectives on understanding where these people are coming from what's going on here and that's i feel like that's such a benefit for a movie like this that 
still stays mostly inside the lines as far as an MCU film goes, but right. feels but feels like it's somebody's vision of how to do this as opposed to a product. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah. I, I, sorry, go oh, ahead. sorry. Go ahead, Todd. No, no, go please. Oh, I I was just gonna click. No, I agree, Aaron. I mean, I liked. I liked Black Widow more. I mean, you and I have uh, – I prefer Black Widow more than Aaron does. I don't know about uh, the rest of you guys. But I will say sort of to Aaron's point that I wonder if part of this, though, is while I do think it works best, yes, I think the I think interspersing flashbacks in this movie uh, works better than it does um, in Black Widow. I do wonder if part of it is because there is – part of this is because Shang-Chi and this whole cast – is new to us there is more of a a level playing field of when each scene happens of being like oh okay so you know here he is he meets the woman he's going to fall in love with what does this mean now we're seeing you know a young a a young shang chi and now we see him as an adult and i'm and i love how all this is being filled in interestingly the movie i thought of wasn't black widow it was f9 and i feel Mm. like i wonder if but i do wonder when i saw f9 I was frustrated by the flashbacks. And I know I look, I know these are I know that most people who watch the Fast and Furious movies, we're not really saying that these are super deep emotional movies and everything. You're not. But right? <laughs> <laughs> let's not generalize here, Peter. Family. Oh, yeah. Right, right. But I think the distinction for me is that I've been watching the Fast and Furious movies for like twenty years now or something. And so if you suddenly flash back and I don't get to see Vin Diesel or the character, the actors that I have come to see, it is distracting for me. I'm just like, really? I don't care about this kid. And and actually, as I recall, the actors in those flashbacks are fine. They're not bad. But I am distracted. I'm like, well, I want to get back to Vin Diesel and I want to see I want to see him meet John Senna, who is a movie star I know. In Shang-Chi, <laughs> we don't really have that problem. I'm not I, I haven't been watching these movies. I haven't seen you know, 10, five Shang-Chi films that if you go back to a younger version of him, I'm suddenly like, what, this kid? Who cares about that? Like, so I do wonder if, just from a personal level, I wonder if that might have been going on for me. Again, I agree with you guys. I think it is very well implemented, but I do think that it is interesting how it annoyed me in a previous summer movie, and it did not annoy me in this movie, beyond just better execution or whatever. I would... Uh, look, I, I might argue that that the that the reason is well, I mean, notwithstanding uh, F nine, which I think is like profoundly idiotic, quite frankly. But um, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, but the difference is between it going back to sort of the original comparison, which was Black Widow to to this one, is that the action in this movie I think is implemented as in the service of storytelling, sure. as opposed to in the service of a set piece. I mean, one of the things that sort of wore me out with Black Widow was that every single sequence, every action sequence in that movie, is we just escaped. Uh, the the crater explosion and we landed on just the other side and everything's okay. Like it's like the end of that movie is such a hat on a hat where it's like we have to crawl out of a tunnel that comes out of a building that's falling on top of another building that's being flown through the air that crashed into another building that has wings. And you're just like, I just, I cannot even get my bearings because there's nothing here except for just how much more we can amplify the action over and over again. But, but by comparison, when you watch Shang-Chi, you have an opening sequence, which is basically a Shaw brothers, martial arts, uh, epic sequence mm-hmm. where you have these people who are, you know, using sort of like 
CGI slash wire work to to do all these 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 grand battles. And then you have a Jackie Chan sequence in the bus, and then you have a like either a Zhang Yimou or or Ang Lee type romantic scene where mm-hmm. where Tony Long meets his his uh, his 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 bride or his wife. Um, you know, and then as the as the movie progresses, um, you know, you, you it it escalates with each sequence that sort of uses a slightly different aesthetic, but every one of those is serving a story as opposed to just creating another opportunity for some action to unfold. True. And I think that that's really what allows it. So when I mean that's where like to, to I think when once it gets to the the small village in the middle of the of the thing. And there's like one extra flashback there where, where Shang-Chi is sort of like reflecting on what he did and that kind of stuff. I'm like, I kind of feel like we need to like pick up the pace a little bit here, which is probably for me, maybe just a reflection of my impatience as a Western viewer. But, um, but I do think that like once the movie gets back into um, the giant wall with the creatures coming out and then you have a dragon and you have all this other stuff, which is, you know, sort of borderline, um, uh, you know, I mean, there's probably, uh, anime examples and, and other, um, and, and then other, uh, films that I just am not thinking of off the top of my head, even like Stephen Chow, I feel like that yeah. kind of like evokes that, um, mm-hmm. that, that you really, um, that the movie really does utilize that action in a really smart way. And so you, so each time it's being used, even though it is a flashback, I think you don't mind because you're basically being transported to understand who these characters are better, which I'm sure that that's the intent in Black Widow or F9 or whatever it is as well. But like, you know, I don't, I think this movie has the integrity of really being undergirded by a really strong dramatic sensibility um, from its story, uh, from the, from its most basic storytelling foundations that allows us to really feel like every moment is being utilized to, to show us who these characters are, as opposed to, you know, thrill us with a set piece. I I very much agree with this. And I mean, not to talk too much about like the, not to talk too much about the finale specifically, but like Abe, at this point, I think you know that I'm big into giant monsters appearing in big movies. So I would never guess that. No. So, so you know, if you're gonna have a finale that includes you know multiple giant monster things fighting each other, I'm not right. really gonna complain about. That. It's like that's not gonna <laughs> bother me. But even then, yes, these Marvel movies tend to have these overlong action finales, and you know, I I didn't find room for complaint here. Like I was into like, you know, it has a lot of cross cutting between the different like you know, characters were involved with fighting things. And while I think there's a, there's a choice to kind of resolve one character or their relationship early in favor of more CG spectacle, which I guess is ultimately what like slightly lowers it for me compared to some other movies. Like I still was just into like how it was utilizing this action, the way you Todd, you were describing, I don't need to repeat mm-hmm. all of that, but like, I just really, I, I dug the kind of variety and, you know the the way it went from being not necessarily grounded but certainly smaller scale to you know increasing that over time so you can find yourself by the end you know seeing Shang Chi deal with you know much bigger much bigger things than he was when right. he was fighting people on a bus and make that you know work on a both a story level and as an action on an action movie level. I'll also say rings are cool, guys. Like I like seeing <laughs> rings being fought with. There's a there's a move where he like uses the rings to like step on them one one and then like kicks the guys. Like yeah, let's see let's see more ring action. I'm into this a lot. Creative. 
like something that you talked about, Todd, that I also liked is that, yeah, even during these large action set pieces, there's still like some strange character development happening. Like <laughs> the best example that I can think of right now off the top of my head is, um, you know, you've got this large action sequence piece at the end there and he's got to make a decision with his sister and he makes the right decision. You know what I mean? Like in other movies where they could easily just take an exit of like, cool, this is like a, a, an easy emotional piece. It's like, no, let's take the harder route, but still make it like this meaningful moment for these two characters. And I was like, this is that really defied what I was thinking. And I, I applaud you for that. So good job, screenwriters, for making that happen. Um, obviously, you know, they have uh, they have plans for the rest of these characters. But in that moment, in that scene, I was like other movies would have taken the easy way out and just been like, this is this is the end for for uh this person or or this creature or what have you right and i I kind of appreciate that he's still like we we discussed earlier he's still really becoming uh more used to himself or or like a fuller person of himself like uh, even as they're fighting uh midair in this giant battle sequence at the end and i think also they they do a good job of really creating a great ensemble so that like the even the bad guys are more interesting i mean florian mutino is the as uh is it machete what's that guy's razor name? fist it's on his machete. car it's all over his car razor um, fist but you know it's like there's the moment where like you're sort of like you know he's not like just a a shitty guy or like, you know, or such like an unambiguous villain that we have to sort of like somehow turn around fast and furious style to become a hero later on. Like you're like, he's a guy who is, has a, a quote unquote unique set of skills who, who at a certain point is like, yeah, you know, we're going to get our asses handed to us just like you guys are. So it actually makes sense for us to team up. And then you have a character like say, um, the, the martial artist who's wearing like the, the, it's like a, almost like a Chinese opera mask mm-hmm. yeah. who, who we don't, I don't he's, think we he's even, like sensei we, guy who we used to about. beat him as a kid. He beats yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, and it's like the fact that that guy is like one of the first people who kind of gets like gets taken out in this big battle is an interesting way to offset the audience's expectations because I think we're so accustomed to sort of the the video game like escalation yeah. of, of stakes where you're like well first they fight this guy and then they fight this guy who's a little badder and this guy who's a little badder until you finally get to the big bad and this is a movie where it's like no there are things that transcend any of these like little rivalries that we have and so you know and the fact quite frankly that that you that you have a scene at the beginning of the movie where you where where there is this showdown that you think is going to be with abomination um and then it ends up being between shang chi and his sister becomes like this really kind of amazing um you know again exhibition of character as opposed to like i think that you know my like i i know one of the things that i sort of was let down, not, I wouldn't even say let down by, but one of the things that I was less excited about was that when the movie would return to the elements of the MCU Mm -hmm. as an act of either obligation or to sort of like, you know, recontextualize with, um, with the character that, you know, um, that uh, Ben Kingsley plays or whatever it was. I found some of that to be, I mean, it's, it's sort of charming, but it's also a little bit um, sort of like distracting. I'm like, I don't really care about this. I now care about Shang-Chi and I want to hear about his, his experiences. And so bringing back abomination is, is a fun Easter egg, but I was very grateful to discover that they weren't really trying to build 
abomination into the mythology of this Matt merely just trying to acknowledge that he's a character within this larger universe. And, and, uh, and so I, again, I think that the movie does a really great job. Um, and, and so it was even to the extent that I got to the, like the post credit sequence and I almost didn't want there to be one. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is enough. I'm like, this story was great. I really like this. I like these characters. I think they, I think, you know, they, they, they make some great jokes. Um, uh, and they, you know, and I also think that it's a, it was a good, they, they also play Aquafina's character the right way. Like, I think mm-hmm. there's, there's such an easy, I mean, to, to the point that I think one of, uh, maybe Abe, you made earlier is that there, there's a really easy opportunity for, for them to make jokes about how wild and crazy all this stuff is. And she and, and Shang-Chi as well, both are reacting to this in sort of real time, discovering how the scales of this are so much bigger than they ever would have realized. But I do think that the movie does a good job of, of not making her comic relief or, you know, that sort of yeah, they're human. Uh, they're... Winky, but, but not, but not a winking commentary on yeah. mm-hmm. something, which I right. think mystifies it, you know, if you do it too often. And I think that they did it in a way where, like, you know, I mean, they have that amazing um, scene on the outside of that building in in uh, Macaw, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in on on this, you know, on this building, which that location is such a I mean, like, first, if you've been to those those countries, it's something that you see. But so the idea of like implementing an action scene that way with these bamboo, um, you know, scaffolding yeah. stuff is so cool. And you're like, oh, okay, these people are like, you know, they're really fighting for their lives while also kind of like functioning in this heightened reality. And it just is, it's really thrilling. Um, And so that by itself hermetically sealed in this film is great. And the only time I think I got, I got momentarily even let down was where I'm like, oh yeah, they got to bring up uh, this thing again, or they got, they got to bring in the other people. I'm like, I'm like, quite frankly, the more time that it took to establish just this world was what made it to me much more satisfying experience than maybe some of the other earlier um, origin stories or, you know, standalone episodes of the larger MCU. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's, can I, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Got it. Got it. Oh, Peter, no, go ahead, Peter. Peter. Can I ask a question to all you guys? Um, sure. in, in this, uh, one of my, one, one of the things I was um, disappointed in, if we can talk about some of the things we, yeah, we didn't love. However, but I'm I'm hoping that maybe it was my experience. Um, Todd, you had mentioned um, uh, Yumao and um, Lee, you know, and and uh, some of uh, Zhang Yumao's films from the '90s and are like some. I think they're some of the most colorful and gorgeous films. I like Razor Red Lantern or you know, Judo sure. that I've yeah. ever seen. And I will say um, I saw this at a screening at the El Cap in Hollywood. And I, I, again, I really enjoyed the movie, um, but I thought that it, I was surprised at the costumes and the art direction House were, dude, were colorful, but I did think that I was like, wow, oh, this looks kind of muted. Like it, like, like, sure. it, and, and I will say that like uh, Guardians 2, Black Panther, because I feel like MCU movies do sort of get this rap where it's like, wow, a lot of the MCU movies are kind of washed out looking, but I felt like the last few MCU movies, they had embraced a a wider color palette and stuff. So I'm just wondering, was that my experience at 
the El Cap, or did you guys all think, yeah, not quite as colorful as you think it would be? Maybe it was the experience of the projection I saw. I, I think for a movie like this, it could have stood, you know, to have more. That like it feels like early on, it was doing more than it did later on. Honestly, like with the introduction of that whole bamboo forest and everything, and some like, like really that. wide shots like... to show the scale of this thing versus like Tony Long standing like just on the outside of it. Like there's some good stuff there, and I'm not saying that's you know I'm not saying the movie looks bad in that regard. Like I do think there's colors here. I don't think it's as you know it, it's not as uh, not as apparent as something that's more stock MCU so to speak as far like you know like the Ant Man movies or something where like it seems like that's less of a priority. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean yeah, in the previous you know. I mean, you mentioned Guardians too, and that's like five years ago now. At this point, like it's not—it's not like it's that recent anymore. True. So it's—it's it's like you know, it—it it seems more on the lines of which filmmakers are trying to make the bigger impression, right? Or like something like Black Panther, the James Gunn's films, like those seem like that's—that's yeah. that's very much indebted into the DNA of what these movies are, versus some of them that are kind of less focused on that aspect. Yeah, I would yeah. say. I mean, I would say I'm not sure. You know, trying to trying to di- decode. You yeah. know. What, what, what <laughs> constitutes a MCO house style is, you know, an, an exercise in futility and sure, uh, right. know, uh, to some extent. But but I would say, you know, I think one of the I mean, certainly there was CGI used in in um, the Zhang Yimou films like Hero, House of Flying Daggers, Curse of the Golden uh, Curse of, Flower, Curse of the Golden Flower. Yes, I don't know. I almost said golden scorpion the the woody allen movie um i was like there wasn't much cgi in that but i maybe it would maybe less than i remember uh but uh but no like you know there was cgi in those films but but i think there was a practicality to the cinematography and to the filmmaking that i do think um maybe lent itself to um to to um jean Yimo, who who as you you mentioned in his earlier films raising red lantern judo um you know to live um you know all those films like certainly were extremely colorful and i definitely think that i would have have liked that i also think that um that a more muted color palette covers up a multitude of sins and yeah to sure. whatever extent um sure. i and i extend this as a as you know just a degree of empathy to a mm-hmm. filmmaker like uh destin daniel cretton who was not who's never worked at a scale like this before like you know if that's a way to alleviate some of the concerns of realism or you know even magic realism in this film um then i sort of forgive it um but i would agree with you um, you know, I think I, I do think that there has been this like long journey to the middle when it comes to um, even the way films are, um, you know, even even Hong Kong films are mm-hmm. are photographed now. I mean, like, you know, when you think of the Great Wall uh, as infrequently as the, the humanity may do so, <laughs> you know, Jean Yimou's film is not I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it was a fine. I mean, I thought it was actually a fine. fine. I, I don't have, you know, but I do think that it was a film that um, definitely suffered from a more subdued color palette than he had used in the past. And, you know, Shadow is a really interesting film. I was about to say, Shadow is like him sticking it to you. Be like, oh, you want to see colors? How about none? Yeah. That movie is uniquely sumptuous and yet somehow managed to be almost black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so which is a testament to his abilities as a filmmaker, which, you know, suffice it to say, Destin Daniel Cretton has not demonstrated yet. And also uh, just the freedom that someone like Zhang Yimou has compared to someone that's working within the Marvel studio system. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
Oh, but I, sure. you know, I just I think the problem probably more than anything is that I would imagine the more light you've put into a frame to shine on on super on on superhero CGI and all that kind of stuff. I think the more people nitpick, um, yeah. you know, and I mean, like, I mean, it, which I find somewhat ironic because, you know, not to like the Hulk uh, that Ang Lee made is a mm-hmm. very, very vibrant, mm-hmm. colorful film. And I actually thought that his Hulk was one of the most amazing CGI creations I ever had seen. And I would actually argue, I, I would say, I think holds up remarkably well. I don't think everything in the film does, but, mm-hmm. but, you know, that is a very, very brightly colored film. And I think that it takes a degree of confidence as a filmmaker to be able to do that. Oh, and, sure. a um, and, you know, and so I think, but I think also like, to some extent, you know, audiences are now acclimated to that, that color palette. And so, right. you know, if that's, if that's filmmakers sort of acquiescing to that, then I guess that's just a disappointing development. But, um, but I do, th- but I would agree with you uh, going back to your original point, Peter, that I do think that, because I saw it in the same context that you did, I definitely think that it was not as, as, as vivid and, and vibrant as maybe, you know, it could have been particularly given that there are sequences like, you know, the, the, the sort of dance fight between Tony Leung and, and Fala Chen and things like that, that, that are, I think, beautiful sequences, but, you know, they do feel like sort of a, a, a two or three steps removed version of maybe a sequence like that, that we would see in house of flying daggers where you're like, Holy shit. Not only are we falling in love with these two characters who are falling in love with themselves, with each other in this moment, but I'm also just like, my eyes are like completely overwhelmed with Mm -hmm. the gorgeousness of the cinematography and the choreography and everything else. Oh yeah. I mean, if you have Marvel trying to make a wuxia film, you know, you have to like, especially for someone like, you know, us that are more familiar with these, like you gotta, (laughs) you have to expect that it's not going to be, you know, something, something on, on that level, right? It's going right. to be, you know, the Marvel version, which is like, yeah. okay, cool. And, you know, for to its credit, it does it pretty well. Like, the movies, yeah, you know, exactly. these, these sequences are are well accomplished, if not, you know, not the best, but there's still like, right. yeah, the efforts yeah. there. It, it's a good achievement, and, you know, I think the thing that we have to keep in mind is this story spans different timelines, and so it'd be hard to be like, hey, let's, like, oversaturate San Francisco, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, let's oversaturate like this this giant castle that he has in the mountains of uh, Macau or China, you know. So, I I definitely appreciate that they took some care and some craft and decided to put something in there. But at the same time, like it didn't really like I could see why they couldn't do it for the rest of it. And Todd, I think you said it the best, which is like it kind of hides some of the things if you're not used to this budget or if you're not used to like this studio and whatever else. So, um, like it is what it is, but good job on allowing me to see some of those influences, like at least in the first or the second or yeah, first, first fight, first major accents, set piece. So, yeah. Can we, um, we've been talking a lot. I know we want to be going to wrap up soon. Can we talk about the actors in this movie? We talked about Tony Long, um, already. Sure. Uh, I don't know how much more there is to expand on how great he is, uh, <laughs> but, um, obviously there's the star of the film, uh, Simu Liu, who I, for one, I, I, I didn't watch Kim's convenience. So I, I am. And you know, the, various smaller th- i know he's like a, a stunt guy and what have you like i haven't you know associated much with him so he's new to me mm-hmm. uh, but do you guys have thoughts on on our lead of this film i i liked him i i think that i um i do watch kim's convenience and um i was originally kind of disappointed that the trailers did not seem to show off how charming he could be and i was kind of like oh that's kind of weird i'm like he's not 
you know, he's not Robert Downey Jr., but I'm like, the trailers just seem, he just seemed more muted or something. Um, but I think he works well in the, in the film. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not saying I think he's like, you know, the best performer ever, but I, I think he is, he's likable when he needs to be. And his sort of what Todd was saying about the scene, uh, the big, the, his first big fight scene. I think that that's the kind of thing that the actor does well. There's a kind of nonchalance mixed with like a, like a almost not resistance, but has reluctance, whatever. Wait, what? Reluctance. reluctance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to him. Um, that I, yeah, I, that, uh, that I, I thought worked pretty well. Like, yeah, I thought he was solid, uh, but yes, but I do understand why most of my other film critic friends, the person that we talk about is Tony. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, like he, he, his, like he, he was like, to me, the film's MVP. Well, yeah, um, but it's it's I, like trying to praise Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Lincoln. It's like, yeah, he, okay. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but he's, but I thought it was, yeah. He's good. And, and I, you know, the big thing to me was I, I really like his I, I like Sean's relationship with um, is it Katie? Is that Aquafina's character's name? Katie, Katie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I really like American I, girl. I like their friendship. <laughs> what? American girl. American girl. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I thought it was good. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I mentioned Aquafina earlier. I do think that they use her well. And I think Mm -hmm. that, I mean, she's, she's got so much uh, charm on screen that like, you know, I think she doesn't, I think someone using her more strategically benefits their movie, which, which I think is, you know, exemplified with the farewell, quite frankly, you know, because that is a movie where, you know, incredulity is something that she could provide Mm -hmm. pretty easily. And I think that to, to work, to, to massage that makes it really strengthens the whole movie um, to, you know, I definitely think Simu Liu, I do love um, sort of his, his reluctance to be um, an action star um, as a, as a character. And I think that that actually is. Um, and I think that his relative newness on screen is a, is an advantage to the film as well, because sure. I think that if you, because to me, I think like notwithstanding just the idea or the potential cliche of like a badass Asian martial artist being a superhero. Um, you know, I, I think that the idea of a, of a person who, who was trained, uh, as a, as a family legacy to do something that he is not eager to do. And then going through this, I mean, like, I really think that it's so exemplified beautifully in that, in the, you know, in the fight that ends up being with his, his sister, you know, where he mm-hmm. takes his shirt off and everything. I really love that because it's like, he goes out there and they're like, take your shirt off. And he's like, Okay, like, you know, and it's it's not like because it it not only does it sort of very, very, very gently sort of introduce us to him, but it introduces him to a world that's bigger than himself. And I think that that's a a real strength um, that he brings to the movie that that is that feels believable. I don't I don't think that he lacked confidence in performing the role, but I I do think that the way that the character is 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 performed in the movie um, builds to a really satisfying conclusion that is something where it's like, these are still, I mean, like whether, you know, I saw somebody today talking about the, the perhaps questionable timeline of how old he is, as opposed to how old the character is and how all that stuff works out, which I didn't even think about, but the idea of him being the sort of young guy who's, who really now his home is San Francisco, who, you know, like is, has, has, as Peter said, you know, he's got a real, he's got a blue collar day job and he's kind of like, you know, trying to live an ordinary life. He's not necessarily as responsible as he should be. 
Um, you know, I think like all those things really inform the character in, in really successful ways. And, um, I thought he was great. I think that, um, um, I think that, that, um, uh, Minger Zhang is really good. Um, it's also completely new. Like, as yeah, far as I understand, yeah. like her first, like big, like big, little alone movie, like it's just like bursting on the scene here. Yeah. And I think that they, again, you know, I think that, I think one of the challenges I'm sure they had to face was threading the right needle of, of, um, you know, it, 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 celebrating and exploring, um, be it Chinese culture, be it Chinese martial arts culture, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and character types without, um, you know, sort of leaning too far into stereotypes or familiar types. And I think that they do a really good job of, of, uh, as I think you were talking about earlier, Abe, of, of really uh, like positioning her opposite him and how she's grown, how she has learned, you know, there is a, there is a degree of empowerment to her character. That's not just a, um, sort of blank, um, you know, sort of empty or cliched sort of empowerment narrative, but it is one that's again born of the character that I think is really successfully explored. It uh, it, it speaks with them together. It, it it speaks to like them making them these characters, you know, human, like pro, like acting like people would in certain scenarios, and I right. and I and I think that goes a long way as far as yes, not making it just this kind of you know force of of of, of feminine empowerment. Like there's nothing wrong with it, like the way it's not again pandering, like it's not trying to single this out as this is the only thing that defines the character it gives it gives her and the others just like stuff to do and there's little like bits there's little like there's a moment where when shang chi and and katie first you know meet up with it like after the fight and you know they're introducing katie and she looks at her she says i like your pants and it's like (laughs) there's nothing to that but it's but it's just like this is a person that has like thoughts right it's not someone that's driven driven only by story and only speaks in plot right it's just like and this movie has a lot a lot of that stuff and like just things like that i think that really right. help in, you know expand these characters beyond we exist because this story needs to be told they exist exactly. as people that need to fit in this universe and like you know have a reason for you to like them which is ultimately what's so successful about the mcu right that you like these characters not right. that you like the stories that they're in sure you like them fine but you like hanging out with these people and it's also a weird thing because like the simu liu casting i think like for Shang-Chi himself, Ty, you brought this up. It's like he's he's a guy that's like running away from his past, but he he wants to play himself as an idiot. You know what I mean? So he takes like these menial day jobs and he kind of just like wants to like hang out uh, with Katie and go drinking and do karaoke at night. Um, and I think that that's what Simu brings to the table. He's like this fun guy. The dramatic turn of it is the dramatic turn of it. And I think that if you were to cast like some guy like we were talking about earlier, it's like if you were to cast like some guy who's like, oh, that guy's an Asian badass. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't really think of anybody. Off the Rain. Head, it's like, sure. Rain. <laughs> or like, you know, back in the day would have been like Bruce Lee or like Mike Moe from uh, uh, Once, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Where it's like, oh, yeah, that guy looks chiseled and he looks like a badass. And so the 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 turn of it is going to be that he's like uh, he's not like this idiot uh, uh concierge driver he's actually just like uh, a really cool guy it's like no i think simu brings like that jovialness and like that lightheartedness to the character and then obviously uh, when he's opposite tony lung it's like there's no question like tony lung just like will glance in one direction and just defeat him but you know there's just a lot that i think that simu brings from the standpoint of like a fun innocuous character and todd you're totally right like because there's just not a whole lot that we can go off of in terms of what he's done in the past from his 
from his filmography um, and his acting. It's like it also presents like this blank slate. And the best thing, like we guys mentioned there with like with sisters is just, yeah, it's complete blank slate. And I also really appreciated that Aquafina was she's like our our vehicle for the movie. But we're also following like Shang-Chi and it's really it presents itself as like a really cool like, well, I'm going to let Aquafina ask a question that I'm wondering but also, I'm totally invested, like, in this hero story. It's more of a two-hander than I Sean. expected. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. How about, so, yeah, uh, everybody's pretty good. How about the return of Ben Kingsley as not the Mandarin? I thought I, it was fun. Yeah. I see Todd's point about it maybe going on a little long, but I, I was entertained. Yeah, I was entertained by it, and, and Todd's totally right. I'm just like, this movie is great by itself, and then... I totally forgot that at some point that it was like a Marvel movie and they have to like bring that stuff up. But the way that they brought it up, I was like, that's cool. That's clever. You know what I mean? And it, it's more like in the way that Tony Leung is explaining it to me when he's yeah, talking was, about himself and how thing, he yeah. is the, the 10 rings and how he got pissed off by, by Trevor. But right. <laughs> you know, like overall, like Ben Kingsley being in the movie and kind of just having like a really small role to play, he plays it well, you know. He's not like he's not like overtaking any scenes by any means of the by uh, by any means. So it's just more of this is a character that we know of, and it's maybe if you forgot what he was all about, here he is explaining it to himself again or explaining to the audience again. But also he kind of gets out of the way, like literally he gets out of the way at the end of the movie. You know what I mean? And of course, Michelle Yeoh pops in, and it's Michelle Yeoh. So yeah. this is the weirdest <laughs> Crazy Rich Asians reunion, and I can't wait for Crazier Rich Asians. Oh, yeah, because uh, Ronnie, 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 Ronnie Chung's in here too, right? Like he, yeah. he pops yeah, in. Ronnie, <laughs> Ronnie yeah, Chang, yeah. Ronnie Chang. <laughs> yeah, so it's gonna be really fascinating when it's just like, oh, cool, yeah, all these people are like rich again and playing different roles. But yeah, <laughs> well, what what actually I'm curious about is, you know, Michelle Yeoh already played a character at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yeah. So I'm curious if that character is the same character or a different character. Uh, I mean, it's I think it's I mean, you also have what? What's her name? Gemma Chan, who's, you know, the star of Eternals that's in Captain Marvel. Like, it, it's just like they're playing a little fast and loose with some of these actors that are just popping up in place. multiple roles. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, like, I, I mean, it's called the multiverse, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Michelle Yeoh is, you know, I mean, she's perfect. You know, right. she's 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 she con- communicates um, a, like absolutely effortless gravitas and yes. and quite frankly, compassion, you know, that mm-hmm. that, you know, which I think was actually beautifully played against type with uh, in Crazy Rich Asians. But um, but I think that, um, you know, I think she's great. I like I the. Again, I just to not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, it's like I think the stuff with Ben Kingsley was fine. I think that it's funny, um, but I also I think there was a degree. Um, there was an article that uh, Mike Ryan actually wrote this week where he was talking about why films don't um, just end when they're over. Mm-hmm. And he was talking. He talked to some screenwriters off the off the record, or uh, their their quotes their were not out, yeah. attributed. Um, but he wrote, but basically it was talking about how there seems to be this inclination that either audiences want or screenwriters feel obligated to provide, to continue building out detail after detail after detail to resolve things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was obviously a short film that was, um, that was made after, uh, Iron Man three, where he gets, he has more to do. But the truth is that like, I had completely forgotten about that character and I did not need for him to come back 
I'm, I, you know, this is just, I'm saying, I just did not need that. Um, I think it's fine that he did. Um, and I would say if you still feel like the Marvel cinematic universe did not treat the Mandarin appropriately, then, uh, then I could say, okay. And I'm, I go, go with, go with, uh, go with God with whatever your criticisms are. But to me, I feel like the, 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 Iron Man three handled that well. So we don't necessarily need to have more of this character. Now I understand the purpose he serves in this movie and what he ended up, what, what he ends up doing is, right. is funny and cute. Um, it's also, you know, it gives you some sense of familiarity. So if you're going to introduce like wild creatures and mystical lands or what have you, it's like, okay, at least there's someone that can like welcome me into this that I'm more comfortable with. At least that's the logic I could see. Not necessarily that I yeah, agree with that yeah. being needed. But it's sure. and I know it's also the like, and this is a deeper tunnel we can get out of quickly. But you know, we there's a you know, there's going to be a point where we have, <laughs> I mean, I guess this is still the only one of the only the very very few cinematic universes that works. But that's the kind of thing that you have to kind of accept with these films, right? That it's part of this larger thing, and that's how the yeah. storytelling for this thing's going to work. Where it's not just having you know a character show up it's this guy that shows up it's this person that we saw three movies ago or 10 movies ago or whatever that like adds to you know how how much this encompasses how much this how 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 broad this universe can be where we can you know throw in certain people and make that kind of fit the story that's being told and i think that's why like as a like when it's in when it's in its own vehicle it really feels solid and complete like you know, we got a glimpse of Wong early on, and he's doing portals and whatever else. Um, and then we get some stinger credits. But yeah, I, I'm glad that they just didn't also decide to say, "Remember when he was in Iron Man three? And let's let's flash back real quick to you know a, a clip of him." It's like I'm glad that they didn't do that stuff. But it does kind of tick you out of some of the the Shang Chi elements of it. I mean, yes, it's cool that it's related and connected somehow, but is it totally necessary? Probably not. I mean, um, but you know, I also just enjoy that he like Ben Kingsley again, just doesn't employ too much of my brain space by having to be completely in the end of the movie. You know what I mean? Like when he shows up, he just has like maybe two or three more scenes and then it is what it is. The only yeah. Ben Kingsley that incorporate, you know, that takes up my mind space is his character in sexy beast. It's, it's mm-hmm. something I, mm-hmm. I just can't get past. What's um, his famous line? No, 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 no. That's, that's what it yeah, is. That's, that is. Yeah, that's that is. That or some other word that we can't say. Um, we have limits. Um, anything else on Shang-Chi? I know we've talked a lot about the movie. Any other things you want to comment on? Peter, anything, anything else in mind? Uh, no, no. I mean, I think we've credited it pretty well. Um, I Oh, I liked I liked the bonus scenes. I like I like the first bonus. The first one is among my favorites. (laughs) Yeah, the first one's pretty good. Like, I I think it's a really. Yeah, I really like that. But um, yeah. But like I said, like we've all been saying, it's pretty enjoyable. And I hope I hope it does well. I mean, it sounds like it did well this weekend. But, you know, the bigger thing I always wonder is about the second weekend. See what the drop is. I mean, it's got an A cinema score. I, I see it having legs, especially because it's, yeah. it's the only big thing around for a while until we get to October. So it's got right. a, it's got plenty of time. Wait, so is it in 45 days? Does that mean it it is it will it become a premier access? It's basically the flip of what they did with Black Widow. So it's twenty nine dollars on twenty nine ninety nine. Is if that I'm, the idea? If I'm not mistaken, I believe that's how it's how it works. Before like months later, it becomes just a another another okay. thing yeah. on Disney Plus. But yeah. I wasn't sure if it was like the ex- premiere access or they're just gonna let it release 
but that makes sense. For yeah, no, I, yeah, it's access. not just a straight up free release. It'll be like right. the yeah, like a VOD thing. Yeah, it'll be like simultaneous, I believe, with um yeah, like v, just VOD in general also. Yeah, my my final thoughts is like I I don't really know like we talked about the movie, but this is more of like for the MCU. It's like I'm actually because of this entry into it, I'm very curious how they're gonna do the rest of Phase Four. You know what I mean? Because like we have such high praise for how they handled this one, that how they designed the characters, how they introduced into the story. So I am curious for things like Eternals now. I mean, I always was, but then just how everything else is going to come into play, too. I, I'm very curious to see how they're going to take this approach for everything else. Yeah. I mean, I don't have an answer for you beyond some of these things will deal directly with the fact that, you know, Thanos caused a big deal and some won't. Right. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. Yeah. Uh, good score, by the way. We didn't mention the score at all, but I, I like the score and the soundtrack quite a bit. Uh, Joel P. <laughs> West has been working with... Uh, uh, Cretton since his first movie and I, I thought he did a fine job bringing what he needed there to here and I, I like the uh, and Todd you're a music guy do you like the soundtrack in this movie I did I did you know I mean like you know I that that was a I thought it was a nice juxtaposition I mean mm-hmm. you know um, I, I thought it was a good choice when they made Black Panther essentially not to make any of the soundtrack that they made a big part of the actual movie mm-hmm. like I think that you know like just creating right. Um, the Johansson score, you know, utilizing mainly that, I thought that was a really good choice. Um, but, um, I think that, that the way that they have, they seeded this film with more contemporary stuff that they ended with a, you know, a hip hop song, like over the closing credits was, it was a good choice that did not feel like it was being inappropriately poppy, but it sounded, but it was, it was speaking to the element of the character being, you know, young and modern and i thought that was a really good uh, again a, a good overall choice you know is, is sort of as in the film which is that like this is a movie that is still about people who are like we should go to bed but <laughs> we'll go do you know karaoke yeah, and you know and that to me was a very satisfying ending mm-hmm. or you know sort of conclusion for the story that that you know sort of the other stuff it's like oh there's like there's an eleventh ring, or there's a you know whatever you know whatever it is you know that the kind dragon of stuff. balls are where yeah yeah you know um, but I but I like the I like the score and I like the uh, the soundtrack so it was it was you know it's like I said it's it's a good film and I and like I said I I think that um, Black Widow was maybe more sort of too embedded in the the pre um, phase four MCU um, uh, mythology for me to really feel like it was a new step forward. But I think in the best ways, this one does feel like, um, like a very, a confident, but also very patient step into that. Because I, I think that, you know, collectively, I think it's inevitable that the, that the MCU after the two Avengers movies is going to absolutely feel like a bit of a deflation Mm -hmm. because there's so much, there was so much cathartic, um, storytelling and everything else with the last films. And so for them just to tell good stories that stand on their own is probably the best choice that they can make. And I think they did that with this. And, uh, and that's why I really liked it. That's really well put. Like Todd, you've just been fucking killing it. This like with summations. I'm just, I have to read more of your work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. All right. Sincerely. All right. I mean that sincerely. No, 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 I, like, I, appreciate it. I, I believe you're sincere. All right. Let's uh, let's go over when people should go and see this movie. It sounds like we're pretty all favorable on this one, but do you know that's how we do things here? But uh, uh, Peter, let's start with you. When should people see Shang Chi? Well, I mean, I, I you know, of course, I always want people to 
you know, feel safe. And I don't know what city you're living in and, you know, what the Delta variant is like and everything. But I think if you, you know, if you think you've taken steps and you feel confident about your particular theater and area, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, go see it on the big screen. I, I've not seen it on IMAX. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the screen was like normal, but um, I think it's, it's, you know, pretty delightful on a big screen. If where, you can. where it isn't expanded, like it's, I believe, like open mat or whatever they do with the IMAX presentation, where it's, you know, it's expanded in that form. Right. Uh, Todd, how about you? When should people see Shang-Chi? Um, well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, if people don't see movies in theaters, they might as well just go kill themselves. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I hope this gets excerpted and it's just going to be, you know, broadcast uh, on social media. No, I mean, you know, it's. I think that it's a wonderful film. I was happy I saw it in the theater. I would say I also believe that, you know, when the opportunity comes for it to be seen on the small screen, if you certainly if you don't feel safe and, and everyone, I, I agree with Peter, everyone should be as safe as they can be, as they feel like they need to be. Um, I think you could see it on the on the small screen and it would still be a very powerful experience. Um, but but I do. But I, I mean, I like I said, I quite enjoyed it on the big screen. And, um, you know, when I have another chance to watch it again, which I, I, I hope to again soon, um, you know, I'm going to, I, 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 I'll be happy to watch it in whatever format I can get. Um, um, probably outside of watching it on my laptop. I don't think that I would, I would enjoy that so much, but you know, like on a, on a reasonably large television in my living room, I think it would be, it'd be a great experience. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree. I think the movie is certainly worthwhile in any, you know, manner you can see it. But yeah, a big screen experience, I think, would be very beneficial. Um, if you can get a, a premium format with that, I'm sure that will go over well because they make these movies to play that way and they work quite well in that manner. Abe? Yeah, definitely agree with everybody. Where it's safe, where you feel safe. And this is a theater movie, um, and I guess on our new scale, this would be premium VOD uh, if they, if it came out to that. So yeah, check it out. All right. Well, we've talked plenty about Shang-Chi. Now we should move on to... Hey, what, uh, what time Ooh. is there? Aaron, it's time for a quick game here. And it will, I'm sorry, guys. I will need to be quick for me, I think. I'm, yes. I, but uh, but I'm, I'm excited to play. Okay. okay, yeah, I'm glad. This is a game from our good friend Doug Benson, friend of the show. This is Something Something and the So-and-So. This is where I'm going to read you guys a clue. A theme will emerge, and basically just name the movie uh, from the clue that I'm referencing. So, first one here, just to ease everybody into it, Brad Pitt and the Biblical Serial Killer. Seven. Todd? Seven. I did, I did, I, I, this is, I, I have to relearn this every single time I do one. <laughs> yes, like, I'm just like, oh, I just, I just, I just yell them out. But, I'm going to uh, give it to you, but yes, yeah, seven. Yeah. Next one here. That'll be the only one I get too. Somehow I just immediately forget all learned music movie knowledge as soon as we start playing one of these games. I'm like, but let's let's do it. Let's do it. I can't. The next wait. one here. B Rabbit and the Freestyle Battle of a Lifetime. Todd. Todd. <laughs> M, uh, eight Mile. You're, you're gonna say Eminem Mile? Yeah. <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> uh, the next one here. Bruce Willis and the Traveling Time Machine. This actually could be two of them, but I mean one of them. Aaron? Aaron. <laughs> uh, 12 Monkeys? Monkey. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. Duh. Next one here. Steve, Chevy, and Marty and the fake real bandit fight. Peter. Todd. Peter. Oh, uh, Three Amigos? Three Amigos is correct. 
See, I, I get the theme. I just thought it'd be in order. <laughs> that's no. that's I got wrong. I'm not that clever yeah. yet. Uh, Georgian friends and Operation Desert Storm. Aaron. Todd. Aaron. Well, that's the same number. Three kings. Three kings. Yeah. Oh. Don't worry about the numbers. <laughs> Next one here. Vickis Vandermeer and the South African apartheid metaphor. Todd. Todd. District nine. District nine is correct. Oh, nice. Next one here. Heath Ledger and the high school bet. Peter. Peter. Ten things I hate about you. Ten things I hate about you. You guys are on your buzzers. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Next one here. Steve, Ted, and Tom and the new life change. Todd. Todd. Three men and a baby. Three men and a baby is correct. Oh, (laughs) Jesus. Uh, the next one here. Alex Pettifer and the Galactic Aaron. Aaron. I am number four. I am four yeah. is correct. Uh, remember that? <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. It was a bad movie. Oh my they were going to make sequels. Uh, Jonah and Channing and the high school drug ring. Aaron. Aaron. 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street is correct. Next one here. Pacino and McConaughey and the sports gambling scheme. Aaron. Aaron. One for the money. Mm, two for the money. Incorrect. Sorry. Two for the money. <laughs> two for the money. I mean, I'm going to give it to you, but that was it. first. No, no, no. He doesn't get it. All right. So, it right. Todd, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not one for the money. Fucking DJ Caruso. <laughs> Todd DJ or Peter Caruso for the steal? <laughs> what? Todd or Peter for the steal? Oh, I mean. I don't uh, know. Yeah, I'll do it. Two for the money. <laughs> money there you go. I didn't uh, even see that movie. I just knew. I just knew Aaron couldn't get it. I just, there's a, here's a, here's, a, here's a, here, real quick. There's a part what did two for the money where Matthew McConaughey he's meeting up with Renee Russo's character. She's married to Pacino, but he doesn't know that. And so he starts hitting on her, and then Pacino comes in. And he's like, "Hey, you met my wife." And he's like, "Oh, bogey." And it's the funniest thing McConaughey's ever said. In a, movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a couple over here. It's kind of a tight race. Danny Ocean and the Casino King. Aaron. Aaron. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is correct. Uh, last one here. James Franco and the Big Ol' Rock. Aaron. Aaron. 127 hours. 127 hours. With that, Aaron, you beat Todd at uh, 6 to 5. So, wow. yeah, son it was a close a, one. Son of a. Not... Son of a is correct. I was, wait, I was waiting for 2046. <laughs> 2046, yeah, no, that would have been a great one. Tony uh, and Time. That was, yeah, that was something, something in the so-and-so. The theme was all those titles had uh, a number in them, kind of like Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. The one, day, one day you guys have me on here, and you should just I can just give you a list of films that I hate. You mentioned <laughs> In Time, and that will definitely be at the top of that list. And you, the whole thing is just trivia about movies that I cannot stand. So, yeah. That'd be hilarious. Yeah. Well, Aaron, and good job bring on the Jermaine on. That's perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, I will. I will have to work Jermaine into the next game too. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for that game, Abe. Mm-hmm. With that in mind, Todd, where can people find more of your work online? Um, well, they. Uh, you mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm a writer for Variety um, and for What to Watch uh, and 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 the Rap, uh, which you definitely can find. You can find me on Twitter at mtgilchrist and on Instagram at Best Dressed Todd. Um, where you can, I, I, I post, uh, pictures of records that I buy and, and play. Um, and, um, but that's probably the best place. All right. Well, Todd, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for today's uh, thoughts.
No, thank you guys so much. I, I really appreciated it. I had really, I was really excited to, to talk about this movie and I, I appreciate you guys inviting me on. Of course. For sure. And it's always great getting to, uh, to cross paths with Peter as well. Cause yeah, yeah it's, not, been, it's been too long <laughs> yeah. for sure. For sure. Thanks Todd. Talk great to you again soon. Yeah. All right. Thanks guys. Yeah. Talk to you later. See you. All right. Now that Todd's gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's, let's move on now. Let's get to the final segment of the show. A little thing called out now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over the right questions answered our, on our. Bleh. This is where I go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and then they gave us a question that we can answer as well. Uh, Peter, feel free, of course, to jump in with any answers you may have for the various questions we're about to ask. And uh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, first question is Who gave your favorite new to you performance in a superhero movie, as in performers you were not familiar with before their superhero movie? Uh, Irene has Chadwick Boseman in Civil War, Karen Gillian and Dave Bautista in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I ended up seeing this one before seeing the first Guardians movie. Uh, friends show Michael Lee has Meng Zhang uh, in Shang-Chi. And Luke Thompson, uh, friends show, has Christopher Reeve as Superman. Do you guys have any uh, – oh, I've never seen that guy before, but he knocked me out – he knocked my socks off. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, for sure, Christopher Reeve. But now I'm trying to think, have I – I know this is going to sound weird, but and I know it's going to be one of those things where I think Aaron's going to go, Pete, duh. Had I seen, <laughs> for it. had I seen Chris Hemsworth? What was he in before Thor? Star Trek. Star Trek. Oh, it's Kirk's well, dad. Yeah, he's he, in it for he's in it for like two minutes. You're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, not yeah. like the perfect getaway. He's in that movie. Right. <laughs> but uh, yes, you're not you're not wrong shows? as far as getting a a major impression of him in the, the right. movie there versus anything else. Uh, but yeah, I guess I would say Hemsworth for, for a major impression. I would have said him. Nice. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, Keaton. Honestly, I I was young, so I didn't see mm-hmm. I didn't see Michael Keaton. Like I had I saw Batman before I saw Beetlejuice because I you know Batman is my first memory and Beetlejuice I saw later. Uh, right. So it's like yeah, that's that went a long way because I you know he stuck around. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, <laughs> he stuck around. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot of people. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah, all uh, of them. J.K. Jameson. There you go. Uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Yeah, it's just like, wow, this guy's really killing. J.K. Uh, Jonah Jameson. Sure. Actually, I wonder. I wonder if there a lot of. I would have to ask my my girlfriend, but I I do wonder if there are actually a lot of people that maybe aren't like film nerds or didn't necessarily like watch a lot of 80s 90s stuff would robert downey jr maybe that was their first big movie oh for him. sure could have been yeah yeah like no, be no, I mean, no doubt no there's a whole like zodiac Gen- generation wise yes that's very much yeah. a, a thing that would certainly apply to a younger audience i'm pretty yeah. sure like oh. some people just know him as exclusively and only tony stark and they're like whoa this guy was in the judge so Shut i mean <laughs> Almost like is it almost like kids seeing Star Wars and not realizing Alec Guinness had had already done a lifetime of work. He had like an illustrious film career before being. Yeah, I, before. Mean, I mean, yes, I saw Star Wars before I saw anything else with Alec Guinness in it. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, huh. Uh, Hugh Jackman, because everybody didn't know who Hugh Jackman was before. Oh, uh, before sure. Yeah, yeah, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, Star of Australia. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean. I, like I knew who Henry Cavill was. I think people that watched like the Tudors and whatnot, but like there's probably a good audience that didn't know who Henry Cavill was either until you know he was Superman. Yeah, good point. 
obviously a we we knew him because of uh, the the uh, the immortals we just couldn't yes, stop talking yeah. about him yep yeah exactly I mean, he was there with could, pinto i mean you could argue she definitely has more of a presence than hemsworth but i mean gal gadot in the fast and furious movies probably besides that i don't think we had seen her in a lot yeah we really hadn't and people were just like hmm this is interesting casting and then you know first one woman made like 400 million dollars that summer all right you guys remember 400 million dollars was like a really healthy number oh domestic yeah yeah Yeah. all right next up what is your favorite wuxia film Adam Andrew Gentry, friend of the show, has Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, was the first one I ever saw, and it remains my favorite. Chris writes, yeah, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon was my first two. Also love I, Ip Man and House of Flying Daggers. Irene writes, my favorite is Crouching Tiger, but the first one I ever saw was my dad's favorite, One-Armed Swordsman. Michael Lee, friend of the show, writes Hero, and Todd Liebenau writes House of Flying Daggers. That's my pick as well. Like, in, you know, I Crouching Tiger is a perfect movie to me, and mm-hmm. Hero's great. I, I really like representing House of Flying Daggers when I can, because that movie is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I love, I, lo- I would say, if you're just saying, what is a great film? I uh-huh. would say Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, and I do love, uh, but I mean, I, in the 90s, I want to say like 90s, I mean, what is it like? You know, Once Upon uh, a Time in China. Gotta, right, I mean, Iron mm-hmm. Iron Monkey Iron. and mm-hmm. uh, those Jet Li ones are all, those were all pretty, those would be my first experience, and I, I really enjoyed those. But I'm like, right. yeah, I mean, I guess technically, yes, yes, Crouching Tiger is the, like that's the you know like you said it's like a perfect movie so um but i would like to have a shout out those academy awards too yeah Yeah, oh for sure okay the next question is may many may be discovering tony lang for the first time but do you have a favorite film featuring the acclaimed actor mark pace's friend the show writes always and forever infernal affairs uh kevin taft has 2046 Chris has only film I've ever seen him in is hard boiled, but it's a great film. And Adam Gentry on the show has it's in the move for love for me. Yeah. How is that any Tony Lung films? Yep. I mean, it feels like the default kind of like the crouching tiger. I feel like in the mood for love would be the normal would be the most expected answer. I would that would come from people. But I mean, those are all good picks, too. Um, I would still. Yeah, I would still go with in the mood. But yeah, those are all really good. You know, Mm -hmm. having watched all the wrong car Y films and the yeah. criterion set over the past several weeks like it, it's been great to you know just see the different performances that he's given over time you know like in in the mood for love is like my favorite of those movies but i think happy together might be his best performance i think he's really good like, in that movie yeah. like he's yeah. never he's never bad but like that's a it's 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 notably very good <laughs> like stay like in a standout way obviously chungking express is also like another really great yeah. one but I, I i i really like the kind of emotional stuff he was going through in happy together yeah He's, he's great in a lot of his movies. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. No I mean, fighting. Infer- Infer- Infernal Affairs is fantastic. I mean, it's, yeah. and one where it's like, yeah, Andy Lau is good, but like Tony Long is killing Tony Long movie. is, <laughs> yeah, he's basically the heart of that movie. Though, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Next question. Who are some great female fighters in martial arts films? Mark Pesos writes, they, I mean, the heroic trio got to be pretty high up there. The Johnny Toe film featuring, was it Maggie Chung? Um, who else in that one? It's three of them. Uh, Anita, Anita Mui, and is it Yo or is it somebody else? It's uh, a, it's a good one though. It's a good pick. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Yo. Um, uh, Chris has Yukari Oshima and Michelle Yo, and Todd Liebenau has Zhang Zi. Hmm. 
Hold on, I'm doing research right now. <laughs> uh, the the actress in uh, Chocolate. Uh, no, you're right. Yeah, it's Michelle Yeoh. It is Yeoh. Okay. And, was... and and Maggie Chung. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good job. Thank you. Uh, the actress in Chocolate, a movie about this, uh, she's a martial arts fighter that's on the spectrum, uh, mm-hmm. is really good. <laughs> like it's a, it has, and it has this ending set piece that has, it's like that scaffolding fight in Shang Chi, except it's real. And, and he, <laughs> so there's like people like four stories of things like falling off shit and stuff, and it's like really like really well choreographed. It looks very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Bridget Wilson, Mortal Kombat. No, not really. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the next question is, who are some great comic book movie henchmen? Todd Liebman, our friend of the show, has Otis from Superman. And that was the only answer that we got. Are there any favorite uh, great comic book movie henchmen? Do you mean because he said Otis, like they're also it's like f- comedy relief. Comic is in funny. Well, the, just, the you know, someone that supports the main villain, Peter, the henchman. Right. I mean, hmm. Do, uh, Donald Logue and Blade, of course. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm not thinking purely of comedy. If you have like a, you know, you know like Razor Fist, he's not exactly a bucket of laughs. Barrel of laughs, either way. Barrel, yeah. Uh, bucket of laughs could work too. Though. Bucket of laughs sounds like a board game. Strangely, this is gonna sound weird. Is <laughs> is what's his? Uh, is Mickey Rourke in Iron Man two the henchman for for uh? Uh, Rockwell. Well, it's more Rockwell thinks he is, but it turns out he's the main bad guy. But I mean, I just say right. Ro- I just say Rockwell like, in Iron Man too. Honestly, <laughs> that'd be my answer. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's good. Yeah. Uh, Bob. From Bob the Batman. Goon. Bob the Goon. Or ba- yeah, Tracy yeah. Walter <laughs> pulls a gun out uh, on uh, Harvey or not Har- uh, on the who's the other cop? Um, uh, in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Porkins from Star Wars. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is Porkins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else? I, I had another one in mind, and I forgot it. Um, oh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Mystique and Sabretooth in the first X-Men. Rebecca Rapane and Tyler Mayne. Yeah, there next, you go. Next to Magneto. I mean, they're getting their job done. They're getting what he needed and everything. And then Sabretooth, like, you know, he lost Senator Kelly because he got into water and went out that windows and... The man to lock him in there, and he growled. Actually, you're right. Good no, job. Mystique is a pretty good uh, henchman. She's a great at She gets everything done. Like, yeah. watch, watch those first two movies and see how see much stuff she's getting done in that movie. <laughs> Take that, Magneto. She's like, she's like um, uh, Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck in the Ocean's movies. They just get things done. Like, if if they're <laughs> right. not there, none, Revolution, Ocean's if they, 13. If they're not there, nothing happens right. Like, they're sure. essential yeah. to all of those movies. <laughs> yeah. But let, real question, though. Have you ever thought about moving to Provo? <laughs> no i like having the, the beach nearby <laughs> next question we have here what are your favorite action scenes in a marvel movie not just the mcu mm-hmm. uh todd writes and this will be a running theme the train fight in spider-man 2 nightcrawler at the white house in x2 x-men united uh jordan grout front of the show has gene gray's house brawl in x-men the last stand that is a good fight i always like shouting that one out given the movie that's a good fight mm-hmm. uh, and michael lee has the wolverine bullet train scene uh when leslie snipes goes into god mode before his fight with ron perlman in blade 2 <laughs> and the spider-man 2 train fight they're all really good answers they are all really good answers yeah. <laughs> those, those are those are all essentials wait uh, what is wait what's the question wait what's the question? what's your just, favorite action scene in a marvel movie period and just any um yeah. yeah i mean the train scene's pretty 
that is pretty hard to top. Although I would argue, I mean, it's it's way bigger than because I feel like the train scene is probably like a, a, a you know an eight to ten minute scene or something. Mm-hmm. But I will say, I mean, the big assault on the big battle of New York in the first Avengers, that's pretty great. Yeah, it's just, no one's that. It is. Because that's like 40 it's minutes solid. of the movie, though. But, I mean, it's pretty great. Like, very, very memorable. Yeah. Um, I mean, Todd mentioned the Nightcrawler sequence in, in X2. The other scene in X2, the mansion assault. When Wolverine's going berserker rage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Berserker Wolverine. Um, and then I think the other thing that I also really comes to mind is I really enjoy Spider-Man one for all the reasons that we've talked about over the decade of doing the show, but I really like that sequence where he's like, now choose. And you see like, you know, the split screen eyeballs of Mary Jane and also the tram full of kids mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in Green Goblin's mask. And I mean, at first you're like, he's being selfish. He's using Mary Jane over kids. And then he changed, he changed both. Of them. <laughs> and it's like, Oh, that's not like the comics. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I like oh, what happens to the comics. Did somebody die? Yeah, it's an, it's one of those movies. Oh, um, okay, yeah. I like I like the the scene it's in the first Spider Man, um, the fight afterwards where they're in like the grave or whatever. Oh, where he gets his ass. Where he gets his ass kicked. But it's like it's the build up to it where um where where Willem Dafoe he's like taunting Peter Parker. It's like this is gonna be quick and easy. But now that you've really pissed me Pissed off <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's such a good line reading Dude, yeah. like i'm gonna enjoy this it's just... that scene always that scene has incredible like adr stuff where peter's like getting his ass kicked. he's like oh, ah! oh, yeah. no that's that's the most sam Raimi sequence in that movie that whole fight there's so many angles and like zoom ins and pushes like it's really fun yeah <laughs> and just it, like just brutal like, it is like, brutal. People want to yeah. talk about how, like, you know, these Spider-Man movies are all light and everything's like, that's a fucking... Br-. Like, after Willem Dafoe's already murdered people, like, throughout the movie, he also has this, like, giant brawl with Peter Parker at the right. end. Like, it's not a... I mean, he blows sometimes. up Peter's face, and yeah. then he's like, you spun your last web, and... Yeah. It's it's great. Yeah, Spider-Man 1. Pretty good. Uh, the last question here is, what are your favorite films about broken families? Uh, Jeff has Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Adam Rejection, friend of the show, has Return of the Jedi. Jordan Grout, friend of the show, has Dogtooth and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And Mobius. Uh, Michael Lee, friend of the show, has Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And lastly, Chris has The Royal Tenenbaums, Dogtooth, and Ordinary People. I, Any favorite movies about broken families? I defy this Texas Chainsaw Massacre thing that Jordan said here. Their family's so together. They're they super have, tight. They, yeah, they, they are. Can. They have meals together. Like, yeah. what are we talking about, broken? Even though one guy's, like, dead? Uh, sorry, I lost connection there. Oh, uh, you're fine, no. you're back. What? Yeah, it was weird. It went, it went out. Uh, my okay. my Wi-Fi really, just... Our question out. about the, the broken families? Yes, and then I said, you mean only superheroes or just any broken family? Oh, just any, any broken Anybody. family. Hmm. Aaron, you got one? Uh, broken. Um, beyond these. Um... I think ones are like they're actually broken. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FP, because you know, <laughs> really, of course. the <laughs> brothers have to like fight to get back in cahoots with each other. Mm, I can't. I can't think of. Um... Halloween seems to have some problems. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a family movie. We just guess it's the beginning of the episode. It's still, yeah, family movies, family movie. I mean, still, they still have issues. <laughs> How about that? Rachel getting married. How about that? Oh yeah, uh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, well, but see, wait, but wait. You know, I I was thinking when we say that 
do all the characters have to be dysfunctional? Because in Rachel getting married, it's kind of just her. Like that's kind of the point. I mean, the the thing that happened, the thing that happened to cut the, the thing that okay. ha- the thing that happened that caused her to be a ripped oh, to begin with has bro- has broken the family like mentally as well. I would say. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Uh, For this question that does not have any specific, you know, specific things involved in it, yes, <laughs> I, mean, I think the family qualifies as broken by comparison. That's a good point. Um, man, I, I'm, I can't believe I can't think of an example. I'm sure there's tons. Like, I, I don't know. Feel like... free to shut it out whenever. Secrets and lies. Mm. Oh, that is good. All right. Yeah. Uh, now we have a question that we got here, which is completely right. random, but this is from Jason. Uh, he asks, do you prefer St. Patty's Day or Oktoberfest? Oktoberfest. I've never celebrated Oktoberfest, I don't think. So I guess I have to say St. Patty's Day. I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really a big, even though uh, my mom's side of the fire, my mom's side of the family is Irish. Uh, I'm not a big St. Patty's Day person though either. Um, but I guess I'd go with that. So. Choose Oktoberfest then. I have just never celebrated Oktoberfest. <laughs> Exactly. You just drink beer. And it's about have, like, prefer. <laughs> yeah, it's well, I'll, I mean, I will say I, you know, I'm I don't drink, so mm-hmm. I would say Oktoberfest just because there's more to do than drink on Oktoberfest. Where St. Patrick's Day seems like it's pretty specific what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, you go to a parade with uh, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, you know, or try to watch if Harrison Ford's trying to outrun some FBI agents. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite MCU stars right there. Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah. Yeah, as Colonel What's-His-Face. Exactly, Colonel What's-His-Face. Yeah. All right, well, that was that enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. That's that's it. <laughs> you can find more yeah, of my work on my done. personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing reviews at We Live Entertainment and Why So Blue, and I occasionally have some stuff for Variety, and I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag Morris says, great job, everyone. <laughs> Peter Paris, where can people find more of you? Uh, I'm writing at whysoblue.com, and I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter as Pajamo. You can find all the other episodes about Now Thunder Dave on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpockets at gmail.com. Right on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash out now underscore podcast and of course there's our instagram page instagram.com slash out now underscore podcast as well uh peter thank you very much for joining us today peter thank yeah. you thanks for having me guys yeah it's for sure having you on always yeah uh thanks once again to todd gilchrist for joining us earlier as well for talking about shang chi we i think we all thank had you best time. todd we all had a good time covering the film and that is going to do it for this week's show until next time where we talk about uh, Malignant is coming up next. Uh-oh. Uh, that's the volume down. That's going to do it for now. So until next time, so long. And goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You was cruising with your top down. Fourth of July, I was moving down the block. We got caught at the light out my window. I was shooting my shot. Watching fireworks in the sky. In the summers, we let the top down. So could the light. All I wanted was just to lie down. The love of my life, nice and simple, like a midnight drive. Watching fireworks in the sky. I'm calling it now.